<laughs> he has a what? A, a what? Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. This episode of the Zencast is brought to you by NatureBox. Go to naturebox.com slash Zencast to get 50% off your first order. All right, everybody, welcome to the Zencast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined as always by the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott. Good morning. And from Music Video Sins, Barrett Share. It is morning. I mean, for the people who get this in their automatic downloads, it's probably morning. Yeah, well, yeah. for a lot it of is, people. It is not morning as we do this, No, it's though. not. It is nighttime. It is. Well, with the, with the sun out. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. it's that it's rare. in the PM. It's in that twilight, right? Mm-hmm. Right, right. Mm-hmm. twilight hour. Mm-hmm. Um, we are uh, officially going to finish our first round, yeah, of the March madness that is now April madness, <laughs> and will be will soon be May madness. Let the games begin. This is madness. It's madness. I tell you, for the love of God. Battle Royale. The crowd is just on its feet here. He's a Cinderella boy. Uh. You're excited. Feel these nipples. We're going to finish this up and we're going to have the second round completely set yeah. by the end of this. Exciting. It is exciting. Ooh, la, la. Covered a lot of ground here. We have covered a ton of ground. We've said goodbye to some of uh, some masterpieces and they're just, you know, they're just lying on the side of the road and we drove right on past it and said, fuck it. Yeah. Raiders of the Lost Ark and Dark Knight are both in that ditch. That's right. Yeah. Both looking at each other going, what the fuck? What, what did we have? What do we have to do? <laughs> we are... We are getting fucked up, by the way, Jeremy, on the comments. Oh, I know. About the the Raiders pick. is by far the most controversial loss yet. Mm-hmm. And uh, Barrett and I are taking our fair share. For yeah. That. yeah, yeah, as you should. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, we are going to start today uh, with the 5 and 12 seed in the West region. Mm-hmm. And uh, the 5 seed is the Incredibles. Yay! Uh-huh. Versus the number 12 seed, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. so yet again, we're going like modern great movie against like beloved, revered classic. Yep. Yep. So either way, we're going to piss somebody off. Yes. We're God definitely going to piss somebody <laughs> off. But uh, The Incredibles, uh, it's still, it, I, I think it's still arguable. It might be the best Pixar movie still. I would argue that. There's, yeah. There's, I mean, some might throw Wally out there. Some might throw Up out there. But I think El Ratatouille might be in there. Maybe. I think this movie is more uniformly excellent all the way through, whereas mm. like Up has a great opening twenty minutes and it it's good after that. But it's yeah, it's it actually after that first twenty minutes, it's kind of average. Yeah. yeah. And Wally has that opening thirty minutes that's gorgeous, and then just gets a little goofy and slapsticky. For right. The rest mm-hmm. of it. Right. And uh, and and both of those movies can sort of trick you into thinking best all time. Yeah. But it's it's really they've got those great moments that are like for the first 30 minutes or so. And then it's kind of, kind of average afterwards. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the Incredibles is incredible all the way through. It may be almost the opposite because you do have a great set piece at the beginning, but you could argue it gets exponentially greater as it goes on to to a great ending. I think so. And what, what is really shown off by this movie, I think is Brad Bird's talent and his grasp of, 
basically combining family elements and humor and mm. action. And he's we've seen him do this in Iron Giant and even the live action Ghost Protocol movie he directed all the way back to The Simpsons in his early days. Uh, he gets it in a way that that's why Tomorrowland was such a disappointment to me and, and why when people ask me who would you want to direct a movie if they ever made one from your book, I'm always like, Brad Bird, Brad Bird, Brad Bird. Because <laughs> he gets it, man. Yeah, yeah. The action is thrilling, but it's also taking time to be funny. And it's also taking time to underscore these family dynamics that the movie is really most interested in. And let's not forget, there's great action in this, too. Yeah. Like, uh, the the scene with uh, Elastigirl going through the little uh, yeah. headquarters yeah. and, like, <laughs> stop the doors from closing and using her like stretchiness and everything and uh getting the kids on the the mission uh doing their thing for the first time really uh to for good anyway Mm -hmm. that Uh, first moment when the the kids are in the woods and mom and dad come out and meet them and then the bad guys show up in the thing then the family fights together for the first time ever and it's just organic and natural and feels real is one of the most thrilling things i've seen in any superhero movie Mm -hmm. and and we always mention it i mean it's just uh the scene of pure joy when you know he finally learns how he can run on water basically and has that little giggle laugh or whatever it's just it's stuff like that. Like, I feel like even in a, a somewhat lesser movie, like maybe something that's still basically decent. Yeah. They don't do that. They just right. say, oh, well, he can run on water. That's great. And the giggle makes it. Yeah, yeah. And and what this has is everybody has a purpose. You see it when the the mom turns into the raft and then you've got, you know, the uh, dash like kicking to, to yeah. make the motorboat go and everything. That's what something like the Avengers needs to where like each principal component has a role in it yeah. instead of throwing everybody in and fighting a bunch of robots. That's what like I've that. always argued about those yeah. movies is that if they could find a way to make it where everybody, all the heroes have their own unique thing that has to happen for them to succeed rather than just beating a whole bunch of ass which is what they do all the time in these things it's like oh what's hulk doing oh he's pounding a whole bunch of people and robots right now okay what's thor doing doing the same thing only with a hammer yeah yeah that's that's the justice league trailer right is Mm -hmm. is where suddenly aquaman is riding on top of the batmobile and being flung up to fight somebody in the air where it's like can't you have like a water feature or something in here where everybody has a purpose? Yeah. Well, one of the things that I think makes Incredibles really sing is the villain um, mm. syndrome, which is Jason mm-hmm. Lee uh, in maybe one of his best roles. Mm-hmm. But in syndrome, you have a character who whose descent to evilness makes sense. Mm-hmm. He's a huge fan of Mr. Incredible, and he gets rebuffed often at a young age to the point where it hurts his feelings. So he decides, well, he eventually hates supers, right? To the point where he decides to invent weapons and put them out of business, basically. That's at least a believable, it's very James Bondian, uh, but that's at least a believable character. It's very engaging uh, vocal performance from Jason Lee, uh, and he just chewed into it. Um, but goddamn, I love this movie. It's, it, it the only thing I've ever heard negative about it is that people say it's kind of a uh, Fantastic Four ripoff. Yeah. Uh, which yeah. I both see and don't see, but after the last three Fast and Furious or Fantastic Four same movies thing. we've had, uh, <laughs> yeah, same thing. Um, fuck Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. I don't care what came first. Incredibles did it better. Well, and the movie's gorgeous too. It's oh, one of geez. the it's one of the most gorgeous Pixar movies, just cartoons in general and everything. Especially like when you get into his lair and it's, you know, it's all the, the reds and yellows of that lava that's in the volcano and everything. It's great. 
another great like uh, uh, director moment in this where Brad Bitt Bird decides to do the voice of Edna Mode. Yeah, so great. <laughs> and it's, it, those are some of the biggest laughs in the movie. Yeah, it's it's so good. The, I mean, everything about that is fantastic. She she reminds me a little bit. I don't know why. She always reminds me. There's a there's an actress yep. that. And I can't remember, is that who it's patterned She's on after? She's NC, NCIS or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. It, I don't know if it's patterned after her. I can't remember her name, but it seems like it's patterned after it her. seems like it. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's just fantastic throughout. And I never look it, back, darling. It distracts from the now. <laughs> <laughs> and the whole, you know, the whole no capes thing is great. The whole, like, just a, <laughs> just a general, like... Uh, Re, you know set of reasons why you shouldn't wear capes and it goes through like all these different you know sucked into a vortex you know and all that <laughs> well and just- <laughs> in this world of the fantastical right these powers and these giant robot machines and everything this movie still nails the moments of like mundane human life yep. like that opening when bob has had that shitty day at work, and then it shows him stuck in traffic, cramped in this teeny little car. <laughs> then he gets home, and the door won't shut because his handprint is in the door. Then he picks up the car because he's so frustrated. <laughs> like you can't pick up the car at the end of your experience, but every single one of us has been there, yeah. right, leading up to that. Uh, so, and I just feel like this is there's it's almost perfect. There's really no flaws. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Now it goes up against Monty Python, the Holy Grail. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is one of the you know. I guess this is one of the funniest movies we've ever seen. Yep. Uh, Taking that King Arthur, you know, going after the Holy Grail and all that stuff is really sort of an amalgamation of a lot of those old tales thrown into one because they even reference stuff like Sir Gawain and the Green Knight and all that other (laughs) type of stuff in there. Um, But, uh, but like, I was... I was familiar with stuff like Airplane and The Naked Gun before I actually saw this movie. It, it took until I believe I was like 12 or 13 mm-hmm. to uh, finally see this. And and it's not Airplane or Naked Gun. It's it's a little bit different. It's as a little far bit as, wittier, I think. Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah, that's that's the thing. It's going for a little bit more. I mean, there's a lot of ridiculous in it, too, yeah. but... Uh, uh, and a lot of non sequitur, which is what Monty Python was known mm-hmm. for. But this is a just a troop of comic actors who are at the top of their game mm-hmm. here. Um, now, I, th- I do find it interesting that this movie is not as popular in Britain. It's Life of Brian is the is their holy grail. Yeah, that is weird. Yeah. Uh, but Life of Brian is, you can argue, is is way m- more successful of a satire. Yeah. So if you're if you're more yeah. if you got more of a like point to make, Life mm-hmm. of Brian definitely sells that. But King Arthur is just you know making fun of the King Arthurian Ar- the Arthurian tales and everything. Yeah, and the segues are are my favorite. The non sequiturs are some of my favorites. Like I almost forget that that whole credits gag. Oh where yeah, where it's like yeah. also also with yeah, and like uh, a moose once bit my sister. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and then like smooch. and like uh, the people who were responsible for the credits have been sacked, <laughs> yeah. and then and then then they come back and say the people who have been sacked would like to acknowledge that they've been sacked. <laughs> <laughs> this movie has humor on multiple levels. I think is why it works so well, right? Because there's a lot of great intelligent 
wordplay and even a lot of the non sequitur stuff is pretty smart. Mm-hmm. But if you're a 13 year old, 12 year old boy, at just the clumping of the coconuts for horses or the forgetting <laughs> yep. what your favorite color is at the, <laughs> at the bridge, that shit's really hilarious to a young preteen kid. And as you watch the movie as you age, you can see all the other layers that were there. Uh, so I think the film has uh, extra appreciation at different ages that you might watch it. I love little little things in this where you know the they go to the castle and it's got the french people in it and everything and the the one guy's like i know un cadeau and it's like what a rabbit and they have to keep <laughs> translating for the other guy who's apparently also has to be french too you know it's like wee wee on z what does that mean let's go <laughs> um, the uh and and you know the the knights who say knee that is just patently ridiculous yep it's just ridiculous man <laughs> they and then they and, and they make it even they just keep piling on the ridiculousness <laughs> like they have to go in they have to find they they're like okay we won't let you pass you have to find a shrubbery and then they go to this town to find a sh- and like <laughs> like they they start saying knee to the woman who has a shrubbery and you have eric idol who's like oh what a time it is that young that past bird passes by can say knee to anybody you know <laughs> he's like, I am a he's like i'm a shrubber my name is roger the shrubber he's <laughs> like oh it's it's uh, even shrubbers have it hard in this period in history <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then they come back, and then the Knights Who Say Knee are no longer the Knights Who yeah. Say Knee. Like, they were legendary Knights Who Say Knee. Now they're like the Knights Who Say Eki, 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 Patang, whatever. And like, <laughs> and then and there's still they... a guy who says knee in the back. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like, now you have to cut the mightiest tree in the forest with a hairy. It's so ridiculous, but oh, oh it's God. so fun all the way through. Like, you're right. It's. It's going. It's always going after that. Just that ridiculous, witty. It's a witty thing, but it's also just insane. Yeah, all the way through it. It's like if you can put up with a little bit of randomness in your movies, that's what this does. And did you guys ever watch their show? Oh yeah, yeah. Flying Circus. Uh, this is a movie that got me into their show. Yeah. my very favorite thing they ever did was that Dennis Moore skit about the guy who steals the lupins. Have you guys uh, ever I don't seen know this? If I've seen that one. He's like know. a he's like a Robin Hood type figure in like old England, and they, the theme song was Dennis Moore, Dennis Moore riding through the plains. He robs from the poor and gives to the rich. Stupid bitch. <laughs> <laughs> they have different. Every time they sing it, it's different li- words. But basically, he's like, "Do you have any lupins?" He's trying to steal lupins from people. <laughs> anyway, well, um, yeah, Holy Grail led me to a whole world of Monty Python. Yeah, <clears throat> it was my gateway drug. I like how they retain that silliness. It's like a like the smartest person that you know, like still retaining some sort of gleam in their eye, mm-hmm. and it's some sort of relatability, you know. And you mentioned the randomness, like when they they're on this whole storyline of the, the the rabbit that uh, that, yes. that guards the cave and everything. And they're talking they're like, how are we going to do that after the, the night gets killed? He's like, oh, we do have the holy hand grenade. And he's like, this completely, I don't know. Ah, oh, the holy hand grenade. Then they've got this traveling troop yeah. of Brother Maynard. He's like, <laughs> yeah. And the Lord did grin, and the people did feast <laughs> yeah, yeah, upon yeah. fruit bats and orangutans <laughs> and breakfast cereals <laughs> and limes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Every line in this is quotable. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it just continues and continues. And now they throw that bomb, and I swear <laughs> to God, it doesn't go anywhere near anything, <laughs> but it kills it. You know? But I, the, like the, you know, 
we see the bunny in action. It's flying across the screen and it's like eat, like tearing people's necks off and everything. And then like the sorcerer named uh, some who called me Tim. Who's like, he's like, oh no, you just thought it was a little bunny, didn't you? Oh no. You know. Um, he just walks off. Yeah. yeah fuck it. Um, it. It's one of those movies that it either shapes the way you look at comedy or you just think it's the dumbest thing in mm-hmm. the world. And I always thought it was brilliant all the way through. A lot of people don't like randomness. I don't think there's I don't think there's no reason to the randomness though. No, I think no. I think it's all in in the in the effort to get a nice gag out of it. It's never like just throw something at the screen and see what happens. It's more, we had an idea here and we're going to go with it and it may, you know, maybe a little off, but go with it or whatever. Um, So it goes up against the Incredibles. Is it okay for me to admit that for a a good portion of my life, I thought there was a guy named Monty Python. I'm sure a lot of people, it's like Hootie and the Blowfish. People think that Darius Rucker's yeah. name is Hootie. Or, or, or Pink Floyd. <laughs> or Pink Floyd, yeah, yeah exactly. Leonard Skinnerd. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Mr. Skinnerd. Leonard I Nimoy. Thought Leonard Skinnerd was a dude. Give me a break. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it, it goes up in the, against the Incredibles. What's the uh, order? Tough matchup. Starts with Jeremy. Oh, Incredibles. Uh-huh. Um, and... I don't know if this line I'm going to draw is going to be accepted by the masses or not, but based largely on what you were just saying there at the end, in that Holy Grail does have that portion of the movie-loving audience that it's just not accessible to them, Mm -hmm. Uh, whether it's too silly, too random, too British, what have you. Again, I think it's brilliant. Mm. You guys think it's brilliant. But I think Incredibles is more universally considered great uh, by people of all tastes. And uh, it's my very favorite Pixar movie, maybe the best superhero movie ever made. And I'm going to take out a hammer to hit those Monty Python guys (laughs) back to the back of the line. (laughs) Uh, Man, this is a tough matchup. It is. The only knock that I would put on Monty Python is that ending. The ending is just kind of like oh now it, like they didn't have an ending planned and they just kind of let they, it you know they're like the let's come. let's have the modern British police force yeah. come in and like break this up because it's really just people play acting the whole time yeah or whatever or it's some fusion of the modern with the you know yeah and it makes you think that those. Um, those scenes with the historian earlier on and then like the the cops on their trail and everything yeah. are, are kind of tacked on. And The Incredibles, like you said, man, it's it's almost a perfect movie. I think Monty Python is my favorite comedy of all time. Mm-hmm. And that ending is not enough to overtake it. So I'm going to vote for that. It's there's not a quote, a more quotable movie in, in my world than Monty Python, the Holy Grail. And the fact that we're still talking about this. And it was in 1975 mm-hmm. that it came out. My father was into it. Like, generations have been influenced by this thing. So that's my vote. Okay, so your vote's Monty Python. Yes, it is. All right, so it leaves it up to me. Um, I, 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 I didn't know who what the order was, but mm-hmm. I had sort of, like, said, all right, if it's me first, I'm going to say this or whatever. So I'm going to put The Incredibles ahead. Ah. Yes! Um, <laughs> Oh, I'm very excited. I nobody nobody looks upon Monty Python and the Holy Grail with more regard than I do. Yeah. Uh, I think this movie is is something that definitely shapes the way I write. Mm-hmm. I, I mean it's one of those it's one of those classic things to me. 
Airplane, Naked Gun, Monty Python, Douglas Adams. They're all in that same category to me. Um, but I think Incredibles is just more uniformly excellent all the way through. Yeah. And and Monty Python has, yeah, it's it, there's nothing wrong with it for me. I don't even like I even like the ending too. Mm. Um, I just think the Incredibles is just a, a little bit more of an achievement as a movie. Uh, whereas Monty Python is, is, you know, obviously a tremendous achievement as far as joke writing and, and, you know, humor and everything like that. Uh, it's not an easy vote whatsoever no. because, uh, you know, I, I think technically given both of those movies side by side, I may pick Monty Python more often than I pick the Incredibles because there's a little bit more to get to. My, my python always has just like other stuff that you may have missed the last time yeah. that comes comes through and everything but i think just overall just for the overall excellence incredibles is going to go here man monty python's <sighs> had a rough time of it like in its year it was up against jaws and now yeah. it's up against the fucking yeah 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 well you know it's great <laughs> just because we don't pick a movie doesn't mean we don't like it that's true just not as good as Incredibles. Um, and that, you know, that it does take a lot out of me because I think, you know, the way this voting has gone and everything, I have, I think I feel like I've tended to go towards the, the older, more classic movie. But in this case, it's just, it's a little bit hard for me to pick against the Incredibles. Well, I'm glad you didn't. <laughs> uh, but we are, you know, we, I mean, we'll probably, I mean, my pilot Holy Grail has the same kind of rabid fan base that an Indiana Jones or anything else has. So there'll be people who are saddened by this as well. Yeah. But then, you know, let's just remember, we're going to end up with one fucking movie. Yeah. Right? It's gonna so everyone's going to be pissed. <laughs> That's correct. Imagine it influencing the way you write. Do you ever have a time where like you're starting to write a sin and you're, you're, fingers just kind of keep going before your brain catches up and you end up with like the silliest shit that you didn't even know that you were writing sometimes depends on how much wine i've had <laughs> <laughs> we're like you know like it'll it'll just progress and you're like holy shit am i writing this this is not oh that, that's pretty fucking funny i don't know and then no i don't know if that's happened to me i think i think when i write something super silly it's because i'll get an initial inspiration <laughs> to do so and then i'll write it mm. and then if it, i need to change some things here and there i will if i find another angle that's good or whatever but i don't think i've gotten to the point where it's like you know <laughs> i don't know oh man. what is this i'm writing usually if i get like three sentences into one sin though i'm like all right i'm doing something goofy with this because i have gone on long enough right so, anyway. i did that today where i was like there was somebody that sneaked up behind somebody put their their hands over their eyes and i was ended up with this sin about this guy is had his daughter kidnapped by a russian mom nice no yeah <laughs> Nice. Like, where, how did that, where did that come from? When we went to the bank before my wife went to Italy, she had to get some dollars changed into euros. Uh -huh. and the lady at the bank was like, well, be careful over there. You're a pretty girl. I've seen Taken one too many times. <laughs> <laughs> we're walking nice. out. My wife was like, what happens in the movie Taken? And I was like, you don't want to know. <laughs> and what the fuck is that lady thinking saying something like that to yeah, you? Yeah, no kidding. Jesus. <laughs> By the way, Linda Hunt is the actress that we were uh, referring to, the Edna Mode character. Oh, okay. Yes. And she's on NCIS Los Angeles. Yeah. Just for oh. all those fans that were ready to... No, goddammit! She's been on a bunch of stuff, though. Uh, here's one of the hardest uh, matchups I've seen. Number six, the sixth seed, Ex Machina, mm -hmm. versus number 11, The Descendants. Aha. Mm. Um, so... 
<sighs> a couple of years ago, Ex Machina came out and um, I think sort of blew the doors off of what we expect from sci-fi nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's a really small movie. It is. But it's got a lot of like great ideas in it uh, as far as... And I, I, I think I mentioned this in the 2015 podcast. Um, it's sort of a game theory type of thing. And, you, mm-hmm. you know, like there's three players, basically. And, you know, the one guy is like, how can I get this obvious, like, you know, human who's a robot out of this horrible situation? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the other guy is just like, you know can I finally get to the point where, you know, it fools people. Um, it's just one of those things where like the guy, it plays on a man's need to save, uh, save women mm-hmm. and maybe not for the most, uh, you know, I guess what virtuous reasons or whatever. Yeah. Uh, it's like, if I save her, then maybe we can be together. As yeah. Well, and so- he even says at the end, Oscar Isaac does that, you know, like he, he knew all of this poor bastard's like search history and all the porn that he'd looked at and the kind of girl. So this, this robot was designed with all that in mind. Yep. There's so many layers to this fucking thing. Well, I like what you said about how it's a small movie, but it's the ideas in this movie are huge. Mm. They're as big as the ideas in Arrival or bigger. Mm-hmm. This is a thinking movie. This is the kind of movie that will stay with you for hours, if not days. Oh, yeah. uh, and that is the biggest way I think I'm going to, differentiate that from the descendants this movie has some deep shit to say about existence humanity um human nature good and evil um and i just i eat it up it's visually stunning you want to talk about a directorial debut yeah like we praised sam mendes for american beauty this is every bit as good as that for a debut Mm -hmm. um Stunning. Alex Garland uh, has another movie coming out. Supposedly is looking good, Mm -hmm. looking amazing. Um, But that's a guy to watch for sure, because this movie is so assured. Like, this guy doesn't have any questions about himself, this story, what what he wants to show us, tell us. And I just find that amazing. If I was a first-time director, I'd be second-guessing everything. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And this guy just knew what he wanted and went for it. Thank God he's a genius, and it's great. No, the, all the, the color scheme, the muted colors throughout this, like, it's it's almost dimly lit the entire time through, except for these bright reds and these bright colors that come well, out. you got this funky concrete slash high-tech computerized, you know, compound that's giving you all multiple aesthetics. Yeah. And, oh, jeez. And you got three amazing leads in this, mm-hmm. yep. playing very incredibly different characters. Yep. Oscar Isaac, Donald Gleason, and Alicia Vikander. And, I mean, they, the way that they interact in a completely different mindset from the, the each of them, where, like you were saying, just kind of like trying to figure each other out. Right. Especially with Oscar Isaac's character, is just this massive, quote, drunk all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, oh, it's fucking amazing well and and i i only bring up game theory and i don't know enough about game theory to be like a a super like expert and say assuredly this is what this movie has going for it or whatever but all three have different motives Mm -hmm. all three have different goals and her game is basically can i get this guy to do the impossible for me Mm -hmm. without this other guy knowing you know, before it's, before it's, you know, 
before he sees it or whatever mm-hmm. is it's a it's an impossible task that she hopes that this guy can do meanwhile he uh domo what is it donal donal uh-huh. donal gleason um you know his his whole thing is is you know this isn't right i'm going to try yeah. to you know you know he only thinks he's going up against one opponent that's mm-hmm. what's so uh so great about the whole scene where uh you know oscar isaac's got the recording but while while the recording was going on donald gleason does something else mm-hmm. that you know that he doesn't see because he figured that he would be recording it and everything that's just the exciting part yeah. of it for that for, for well me. and everybody's trying to manipulate somebody else mm-hmm. in this movie there's like like you said three different key players with different motivations goals and manipulations and the ending is just super satisfying for something that could have, I think, turned out really trite and cliche. Yeah, no, uh, great it's reveal. Surprising. It makes sense uh, to everything we've seen up up to that point, uh, and it excites me about where the story might go for at least whoever's left alive. Yeah, yeah, I think that uh, it's it's one of those movies that if you're just passively watching it, you're going to be like. Oh man, that sucks for Donald Gleason at the end or whatever. <laughs> but you're also, if you think about it, you start realizing, you know, his ideas were, I mean, his thought process wasn't totally pure in mm-hmm. this whole thing. And that's why him being, you know, in his situation at the end is kind of, you know, it's, it works for me. It's like, oh, a, yeah. Is he the protagonist? I think she is. Yeah, right. Yeah, at least by the end, it's hard to root I mean, for I guess if you're, an AI, though, you know. Yeah, but that's that's why what makes it awesome. I guess yeah. if the protagonist is supposedly the a person who sets the story in motion, um, because there's an argument I saw, like I was listening to something on uh, the Die Hard, um, the Die Hard uh, audio commentary. They were talking about how. Uh, technically Hans Gruber is the protagonist of the movie because he's the one who sets the action in the motion. Huh. Um, and that it's, it's, we've, we've taken protagonist to be the good guy, mm-hmm. but it's, it's actually the person who sets the story. In is motion. that the definition? I that's... believe so. No kidding. Now, you know, now if I'm wrong, that's at least something somebody else has defined mm-hmm. as their protagonist and it's something they go with or whatever. So, um, but I, I don't know if that's the true definition. I've, I think I've always been told that it was the hero of the movie. Yeah, yeah. It's the person that you root for. It's that perspective by which you're supposedly, even somebody like Michael Corleone, that you're kind of funneled through. And mm-hmm. I guess that doesn't have to be the good guy. But the, you know, filmmakers, of I think it's, uh, it's, uh, Mc, it's either McTiernan or Jan DeBont or somebody who says that the, the, protagonist is whoever sets the story in motion and technically it's hans gruber yeah in this one it would be oscar isaac would mm-hmm. be the protagonist if that was this if that was the case now as nobody's far as our, gonna root for him no <laughs> as far as our hero is concerned yeah i think that she is yeah. like I, I i don't think there's any doubt about that she didn't ask to be made um she's just she's programmed to want to get out yeah. basically um, so I, I, I don't think we can blame her for any of her actions. Mm. And she's not, she's not given a sense of morality or anything mm. where it's like, well, this guy's going to be trapped in this compound forever and everything. That's not the point the Point yeah. is to get out. Um, so yeah, again, yeah, you're talking about, you could talk about it forever because there's so many different yeah. layers to it. It's amazing. It goes up against the descendants. Yeah. Alexander Payne is almost always 
excellent. Yeah. yeah. I mean, everything that he's done, I mean, even movies that sort of waver a little bit, like Nebraska and stuff mm-hmm. like that, that aren't necessarily his best movies, they're still they're still entertaining. His next one's a sci-fi movie. Really? I read about it because they showed some footage at the theater owner's thing last week or whatever, and it's got Matt Damon in it, huh. and it's about this company that can shrink you down to like six inches tall so that you live tiny lives and take up less resources on the planet and save more money because you have to spend less on like electricity and utilities and food because you're tiny oh um and it just made me think man i wish this guy had done some kind of quirky sci-fi format before because i would love to see where he takes the humanity of his characters in a sci-fi kind of world it's funny he now i'm gonna have to look this up but alexander payne did was on the screenplay of something just atrocious that's like maybe in that sci-fi world and look it up real quick was it Event Horizon? We, ac- <laughs> we actually send it because uh, I remember seeing the credits at the end and I was like... Jupiter Rising? Ooh. I'm getting a real Jupiter Rising <laughs> vibe from that Valeria and, and the whatever, the new... Um, I'm getting an Ender's Game vibe from that. Yeah, it's, uh, either way, it's not a super awesome vibe. No, it's not. And a Pandora vibe, too. That's, that's like a $200 million movie. Uh, is it that much yeah holy shit uh jurassic park three. Oh, <laughs> Alan. <laughs> Alan. um but uh yeah the descendants is uh this is a, just a great movie the uh it's it's sort of got i guess a couple of things going on at once clooney goes out to hawaii and they're like his whole family is selling off this land or mm-hmm. whatever He's got a few days before he has to actually sign the contract. But I guess I buried the lead there. His wife is in a coma in the in the hospital. And uh, and he's basically getting everybody rounded up to say goodbye, including his daughter, Shailene Woodley and his other daughter. Um, And there's some really tough dialogue in this in this stuff, too, when he goes because she's she he finds out that she's been cheating on him with this Matthew Lillard character that's in is in the movie. Um, And uh, he's he's sorts of he sort of gets this idea that, you know, he was he's he only slept with her to get close to the money. Uh, But I love the the scene in The Descendants where he goes into the hospital and uh, and like Shailene Woodley starts throwing all these like bad you know all these bad things out and he's like don't say that in front of your sister and all that mm. and, then, and then they 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 leave and then he says the worst yeah. stuff. oh yeah man he goes the <laughs> fuck off yes he does <laughs> um and, but uh but this is a this is a really really good movie you know who's good in this movie is Bo bridges yeah I, it makes me wish that he had done more yeah because he's just more higher it, profile more stuff. higher profile stuff because like he's not the bad guy, mm-hmm. um, but he's almost set up to be, you know, because he's he's the the one that set this kind of in motion uh, this real estate deal, and he wants to get it done, and you know he's he's really attached to the community and everything, but he wants his money, and you can see the conflict. In fact, when when Clooney first meets with them at the bar, and they just you know they're all getting along and they're they're cousins and everything, and then you see you know at the reunion picnic and everything, you see how that conflict really starts to solidify and it's a great 
kind of perspective on family and business and all that stuff. And it's grounded in really, really great performances. Well, and that's the sort of the double play of the title, right? Is that, you know, you've got Clooney and his wife's immediate descendants, mm-hmm. their two daughters, this family dynamic. And you meet the, the father, Robert Forster, yes. <laughs> the mom. Uh, hilarious scene. The boyfriend that goes along oh, with them the on the journey. Oh, the boyfriend's hilarious. Is Spicoli <laughs> levels awesome. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, you also have this land deal and that these, these people only have any claim to this land because they're several generations descended from original Hawaiians who owned Mm. that land. And so there's multiple levels of meaning here. There's multiple interesting dynamics and emotions. It's one of the most surprisingly deep movies. Like, I think it would make a great double feature with Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Because they're both (laughs) set in Hawaii, and one would be a comedy and one would be a dramedy, but you'd kind of get this steep in this Hawaii angst. No, it's great because it shows you a different side of Hawaii, like the the actual natives there. Yeah. And and the people where it's not on resorts all the time. It's not all flowers and luau's and lays and stuff like that. Uh, It's really cool because nobody ever sees that sort of Hawaii. I don't know if I didn't watch Aloha Cameron Crowe. It's not very good. (laughs) But uh, no, it's really cool to see something like that. I like seeing new different perspectives of things that you only see the good of, you know, and that's what this does. Is this possibly Matthew Lillard's best performance? I think uh, SLC Punk is his best. Yeah. But this is his most nuanced, I think for playing sure. Shaggy is his best work. <laughs> yeah. Well, and there, you could argue that what he did with the script and Scream, where he didn't yeah. have much to work with and still turn that into the, one of the most memorable characters of the movie could be as well. But yeah, nuanced is the, this is, is the right decision. It's a non-Matthew Lillard performance. Because... He he looks like he actually genuinely was in love with the you know with his wife mm-hmm. with, and everything and and it's easy to like immediately be like oh he was definitely going for the money and the you know all this they're trying to get in you know and he everything is nefarious about his and he, yeah cheating helping his, <laughs> Clooney's wife cheat isn't a great yeah. isn't a great uh, moment for him but he actually looks like he's you know, he was sincere in how everything went down and everything. So. Yeah, he actually says that he didn't love her mm-hmm. and that he, lo- I mean, they, they got the great scene in the house, this really tense scene yeah. when Clooney and Shailene Woodley show up and Judy Greer's like having wine with, with the, the, the girls outside or with the girl outside. And like he goes in and tells him he knows. Mm-hmm. And this, you're right, man. It's a great performance where this shock and, you could tell like cold chills just running down his spine. He's yeah. like, don't tell it. Don't tell my wife. You yeah. Know, but she, I love how she already knows. Yeah. Like she's already figured it out in the last few minutes. And so she ends up showing up at the hospital later. Mm-hmm. And George Clooney's like, what? She's like, I kind of figured when you kept showing up on the beach. What I like is that at the beginning of this movie, Clooney and Shailene Woodley uh, don't have a good relationship. She's off at college. She's getting in trouble, going out drinking and there's tension there. But then as they discover, the comatose mom's cheating and they embark on this adventure to investigate and learn more and then hop to the other island and hunt this guy. The father and daughter begin to bond Mm -hmm. slowly over this terrible thing that is only going to beget some other terrible thing when mom dies because they're leading up to pulling the plug. It's not just, yeah, I mean, they're going to, she's on a ventilator, respirator, whatever, and they're going to manually cease her life. Yeah. Uh, it's big, deep stuff. And God, how do we compare these two movies? I don't know. You're right. The, it One is more emotional, obviously. Yeah. And one is but, way more intellectual. Yeah. But they both have big ideas. They do. Yeah. It's a, it is, like I said, when I saw the, the matchup, I was like, man, this is, 
I mean, they're. I mean, they both just throw the gauntlet down. They do, and neither one can claim like a classic status over the other. They're Mm. from relatively the same era. I'm sitting here before you. I have no idea what the fuck I'm going to do. Well, you're going last. Good. I have extra time. Yes, you do. You get overtime. As I talked about the descendants, and this is the the blessing and the curse of this kind of format, where we talk about it and then we kind of almost sway our opinions last minute, um, because the descendant is the last one that we talked about. Now it makes me want to, to vote for that. But Ex Machina is is start to finish, man, so perfect, so perfectly paced, so perfectly acted, scripted, directed. Uh, the ideas are fully formed. Mm. It's not a real long movie, I don't think, but nope. it's and it's self-contained, but it, it doesn't feel rushed or slowed, which is funny. That's going to come up later on. I got to go for Ex Machina, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't feel great about kicking either one of these to the curb, but uh, I think Descendants may have just like it's a 98% and Ex Machina is a 99%. Yeah, there isn't much difference in quality in these. Mm. So I think the Ex Machina just has has more going for it overall. I'm going to pick Ex Machina and Jeremy's vote doesn't matter. Ah, let you uh, off the hook. It's all right. Yeah, I don't have to look bad anymore. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, Ex Machina is, uh, is one of those movies that I had heard so much about and it's one of those rare type of things where you hear so much about it and then you go watch it and it's like either meets or exceeds right. expectations. So I'm going with that. Um, I would have gone Ex Machina too. Mm. I even... I saw a comment. Remember back when we did that question about the best and worst examples of nudity in films? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I saw somebody comment that Ex Machina is a good example because there at the end, she's almost putting on nudity mm-hmm. and becoming embracing the human side of her identity. And even though there's explicit nudity on the screen, that scene has never felt titillating to me. Mm-hmm. It's more, it's always more felt like sterile and scientific yeah so I, anyway it's ex machina all the way it's an a plus super duper home run and the descendants is great you should watch it and it's it's not a knock on that but ex machina is one of the kind ex machina baby all right good stuff oh wow i can't wait for that next matchup yeah Sorry. we have another pretty pretty uh, amazing matchup here oh, boy. <laughs> uh number seven zero dark 30 good movie versus 10 broke back mountain yeah oh. They're both um, about Saddam. Yeah, in a way. <laughs> Actually, neither of them are about Saddam. <laughs> I mean, Osama bin Laden. Will you cut all of this out? <laughs> It'll be an outtake for sure. <laughs> Damn it. Um, hey, Satan, you fuck. <laughs> I love you. Zero Dark Thirty is, uh, is a movie that I don't, it, I don't know if I've ever seen something that really happened this riveting before. Mm-hmm. Um, and it may be just because it was so soon after it had happened. Yeah. It was like uh, two years, yeah. maybe, after it. After I guess so, After yeah. Osama bin Laden, uh, they got him, the SEAL Team 6 and everything. Mm-hmm. We had heard, I mean, we had envisioned this in our minds, what it was like. Like we had heard the the mission and everything in specifics, in, we had heard, in, yeah, it, like sort of unprecedented, like just like got all the details we yeah. ever wanted. So we had this in our heads. The fact that Catherine Bigelow goes through this and makes this even better than what I had envisioned in my head, um, it's that whole last twenty to thirty minutes uh, is is literally grip your seat 
type of stuff. Um, I love that, man. Like, I still get kind of tensed up when at the end of Apollo 13. Mm hmm. There's no reason for that to happen. No, I know exactly the, it, what happens. They, they, no, it's just master filmmaking at work. Well, yeah. and the end of Zero Dark Thirty, which is not about Saddam, um, is uh, maybe one of the best uh, restraint, I'm not going to use any music mm-hmm. moments yeah. uh, I've ever seen. I was actually watching The Dark Knight Rises the other day because uh, it was on and I was bored. That's uh, about Saddam. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Saddam's all over that movie. Uh, but when wh- my favorite scene in the whole movie is when Batman is led by Catwoman down to Bane's lair, and Bane basically beats him up and breaks his back and defeats him. But that has, the entire scene has no music. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's all done with audio and just the grunts and the sound effects of each punch. And if that had some like Hans Zimmer kind of, <laughs> it wouldn't play as powerful. Even more so with Zero Dark Thirty. I think it just ramps the tension up by a factor of 10 to have no music in the background and just hear what they're hearing. Yeah, yeah. and the perspective is so close, too, on everybody. Mm-hmm. And you've got the darkness, and you've got, uh, you know, the helicopter failing, and you've got, you know, this unknown quantity, even though they they know kind of what they're going into, they don't know who's there, and they don't know, you know, exactly what they're going to encounter. And the precision of this and and... The way the camera is so close up on everything mm-hmm. is just terrific. Yeah, and you know, let's not forget that this scene is not nearly as effective if we don't see Jessica Chastain's sort of journey from the you know the place where they're torturing the dude at the beginning, and then doing actual basically like you know detective work essentially. Yeah. Uh, to find the smallest of details yeah. and thinking of things in a different way to think about stuff like the, the names are similar, but it's probably different people. You know, they're go- looking for this courier yeah. and like, there's this one guy that keeps coming up that, that they say, well, he was killed or I can't remember what happened to this person. And they were like, what if they're saying this is a different person with the same similar sounding name or whatever. Like to have that kind of Mm -hmm. brains working is incredible to me. And it's satisfying. So satisfying to to think of a problem in this way. Mm. Cause I know you may, you guys have maybe been in the same situations where I will, I will bring somebody will be bringing their plight to me and I will say, well, maybe they didn't mean this. Maybe they meant that. And and a lot of times people just shrug you off. And mm. it's like it, people take things a little bit too literally a lot of times. And that's and in this case, to find bin Laden, they had to like really sort of like not take everything so literally. Yeah. And, and everything. It's an uphill battle to find bin Laden in the first place. But she's got to go through all this bullshit to even get to the point where she's in that position it's almost like she's fighting her own co-workers and yeah. bosses for as much as she is any intelligence mm-hmm. yeah she's got that that really great and and almost like explosive scene in the hall where mm-hmm. they're he's just saying like you got to move on from this mm-hmm. and again he's not necessarily the bad guy but he's the impediment well, yeah and and you think about this though that's the other thing that's great about this movie is that all the people who are doubting her are not bad guys mm-hmm. they there's so much information. I think Kyle Chandler is the one who brings up the fact that they have so many leads about where Osama bin Laden is and everything. Why do you think yours is the most special of them all? Like, why is your, you know, like one in a million shot 
the one that we're going to send all of our money towards. Um, and it's a, such a tough situation because, yeah, you're sitting there going, we we feel like she's right. But if you're someone in a powerful position, how do you say, oh, yeah, she probably got she probably nailed this. It's almost like by the time he was killed and by the time this mission was over, America had almost like moved on from bin Laden. Like, you know, they were like, they were, they were tired of it. They were like, that's the thing that there's other fish to fry stands out to me in the movie is that there's multiple scenes of higher ups in the intelligence community, like giving them shit about not having found him yet. Mm -hmm. Like, what are you doing? Where is he? I need. And yet she still faces such a struggle with they're so desperate to find this guy. And yet the girl who's on the right track still has such an uphill struggle to convince anybody that she's maybe on the right track. Mm -hmm. Well, it's like the same. It's, it's sort of the same stuff we heard about. After the aftermath of 9-11 right like there were a lot of warning signs but yeah. there were also probably a lot of warning signs for 15 years before that mm. and it it becomes to the point of which one do you take seriously right yeah you and, have to filter the noise i mean right. there's a ton of shit that she has to go through to even get to this point yeah so the journey that she takes and of course uh, i i love it when when it's when it gets to the ending of this movie and she's her task has been fulfilled yeah she gets on that plane she's by herself yeah they're like the the pilot's like you're it's only you huh okay well you know it's like you must be a you must be really special then because and uh she just breaks down at the end she's just like i mean think about the how many years she went through on this to to saying she was right saying she's right and then she and comes out that she's right and you know and they get him and based on her knowledge and everything he's just a, a great ending i just feel like there there were so many emotions over the last six to eight years that she just had to set aside because she's yeah. so laser focused on this task everything from small daily emotional moments to big family stuff or relationships or what have you to that yes we got him and that vindication that Mm -hmm. i was right and i just feel like it's every emotion coming out of her at one time right there and she just bottled it all up for so long uh it's fucking fantastic i love jessica testing oh i do too i love her man she's she's great and almost you know she she was supposed to be in oblivion um really i I was reading about this yesterday the article was very sneakily clickbaitily titled and it pissed me off Mm. because it was how tom cruise helped make zero dark 30 and the whole (laughs) and the whole article's about how jessica chastain couldn't do both and chose to do zero dark 30 and tom cruise cast this other girl in this movie in in oblivion (laughs) and i'm like where does it? Th- I, I thought it was going to be like Tom Cruise reached into a trash can and pulled out the script to Zero Dark Thirty <laughs> yeah. and handed it to an executive. But anyway, uh, she was supposed to be in Oblivion, but couldn't do both movies. There's it's a uh, there's a great scene too in this where the she's in the boardroom. James Gandolfini is, I guess, either he's some I don't know what he plays. He's a Secretary of State or yeah, he's a, like a general defense or something like that. And uh, and he's like. Um, how how much percentage would you give that bin laden is there and the one guy is like i think it's chandler he's like uh uh 60 or some other dudes a 60 percent maybe even lower than that or whatever and he asks her and he's like 100 percent. yeah and she goes okay i know that i know that absolutes freak you guys out so 99.9 percent um but yeah zero dark 30 is is a great movie throughout that ends with an absolute like emotional bang Mm. and it's a fantastic movie that should have gotten a lot more uh 
recognition when it came out in 2012. It it did for a while. It was I think it was a best picture shoe in until everybody said this movie endorses torture. Yeah, and uh, I I really don't just believe missing that. the point entirely. Exactly, I don't believe that is the case at all. But it uh, it goes up against Brokeback Mountain. Brokeback Mountain. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Now this movie's definitely about Saddam. <laughs> I figure if I just keep making that. See, the problem is Three Kings was on today, uh-huh. and it was that scene where they're trying to get all those dudes out of that fort, and they decide to fake like Saddam's coming up in this limo, and oh, this guy yeah. comes up in the car, and he's like, Saddam's coming! He's going to kill you for betraying him and failing him! Get out of here! Then you, they see this limo in the distance. So I heard Saddam like 19 times today. I'm trying to carve myself an excuse. <laughs> uh, Brokeback Mountain is one of those movies that I am starting to land on whenever I see it in the movie channels when I'm flipping around. Uh, because... You don't have to go more than five or ten minutes to see some pretty incredible acting um, and some pretty subtle, restrained filmmaking from Ang Lee, I think. Yeah. You put this in so many other directors' hands and this would have been heavy-handed or ham-handed or saccharine. And Ang Lee just kind of hangs back Mm -hmm. and lets these two characters in the mountains just kind of suck us into the story and their relationship well even at the point where the one the one scene that everybody's either dreading or looking forward to is shot with a lot of restraint mm-hmm. in this. yeah i mean it, you know for some people that's not it's not restraint at all it's it's two men you know mm-hmm. but it's one of those things where it's like they could have. I mean, I think you know, you're talking about other directors. I think if this was like Paul Verhoeven, oh yeah, yeah, it would have been like you know, it would have been like we would have been you know, seeing a lot of nudity and like yeah. you know, uh, crazy stuff going on and everything. Uh, and there's there's an argument for that, I think, but I think the restraint is a lot is a lot. I think that's the angle you should mm-hmm. take it at. Um, but yes, the performances are what draw you into this. Heath Ledger, this is, uh, believe it or not, and I, I think I've mentioned this before when we talked about The Dark Knight, this is a movie that I believe that he could do The Dark Knight with because his acting is so good in this that I was like, he could take on anything, really. If he can do this, he can do anything. But this one kind of came out of nowhere, right? Like, did we have an indication that he was this good before Brokeback? Yeah, Four Feathers. <laughs> the Patriot. <laughs> I mean, ten things I hate about you showed. I mean, he was basically the heart. Charming. That. No, he, was, he could he have was... easily extinguished after a movie like that. Yeah, You'd never seen him again. Um, he had done some like smaller things uh, around around this that maybe they weren't high profile or anything. But we, I, I mean, he was basically a good actor. Yeah. Then something high profile. He got he got a lucky break. He got something high profile here, and he was able to show show himself off. And then he was able to like you know translate that into well he he translates that into the into the Joker, but he didn't get much of a chance unfortunately yeah. to, to go go beyond that. But um, what's crazy is that Heath Ledger is amazing in this, but Jake Gyllenhaal I never think gets enough credit. No, he doesn't. Um, he's terrific in this. He's Jake he's Gyllenhaal, amazing. Jake Gyllenhaal doesn't get much credit in general. Yeah. I don't think. No, I that's think, what I'm saying. I think no. I mean, like today, even like yeah. I think even now when he's when people sort of know who he is and know that they're going to get a good performance out of him, doesn't really exactly translate into like everybody going into the theater. It's very much like comedy and i'm gonna say pardon the pun given this movie's topic uh but it's like the straight man and the crazy man right Mm -hmm. like 
like Heath Ledger has the more colorful role mm-hmm. and Jake has the more straight man role. Mm-hmm. Pardon the pun. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause they're not straight. That's right. Ah, see I'm I can that see pun. that. That's uh-huh. all you did there. And so it's almost always that way in comedy too. Like Jason Bateman doesn't get his just dessert for his comic timing because mm-hmm. it usually goes to the Will Ferrells and the crazy people that yeah. are playing off of his excellent straight man. Um, and so, yeah, I agree. Jake doesn't get enough credit. I don't think Michelle Williams gets enough credit for this yeah, movie God. because she has to carry so much of her, what her character's feeling in her face and her yep. body language. Mm-hmm. She, she doesn't did get, have a lot of dialogue. She did get an Oscar nomination, but you're right. I think it's easy for a lot of people to forget about her performance. In she this. has such a, her wants are so small. Mm-hmm. She wants to move closer to town so we can b- go to church socials more often and the girls can have somebody to play with. Mm-hmm. She, If she wants, if we're going to have another kid, she just wants to be able to pay for that kid. Mm-hmm. She doesn't, she doesn't have any idea what's coming when she looks out that window and sees the two of them making out oh, yeah. in her driveway, which is the stupidest thing yeah. <laughs> Heath Ledger does in this entire fucking movie. Yeah. He cannot wait to be completely out of sight. Well, and he pushes him into the wall and then hopes. He's the one who lays it out for him and says, you know, this thing between you and me, we can't do that. Like out the real world, because they're going to, you know, you're, we'll probably get hurt or killed over it. And of course, Jake Gyllenhaal's character does Mm -hmm. by the end of it, which also leads to that, just that. Is it a down ending for yes. Brokeback? I would say it is. Yeah. Um, it, it's just that it ends on such that high, emotional, I don't know, it's a high almost that he gets into that, he gets that jacket that he's kept in the closet yeah. and he's like holding on to it. Yeah, it's a sad ending. I wouldn't mm-hmm. want to say high, like his, oh, that made me feel good after I left. But it's it's more of a, what am I trying to get at here? It's just something that just takes your breath away by yeah. the end of it. And it's just one of those things you're like, yeah, man, it's just, an unfortunate uh, period of time and everything. Even today, I think you could you could run into something like that too, mm-hmm. depending on where you were. Yeah. What I like about this movie is that the conflict is never, do they care about each other? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's Will they or like, won't they? The only conflict is where we are in time because yeah. Jake Gyllenhaal is a little more progressive and wants to push the envelope and try and live as a gay couple, even if they have to be discreet. And Heath Ledger's character, Ennis, is just not, he doesn't see the world as a place where this, I'm built different. The world will not accept me, so we can't do this. Mm-hmm. But they both care about each other equally, even mm. though they end up physically fighting about this, like, multiple times. Uh, it's just heartbreaking. I, I think whatever your views on homosexuality or what have you, or gay marriage, it's just, it's a heartbreaking story of two people who are in love that that can't, they're not allowed to be together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one of them realizes it and one of them doesn't and that's what makes it so hopeless and sad is it is it uh kind of an offbeat romeo and juliet would you say oh yeah mm, yeah that's i could not see terrible that. i mean, I mean it's not cross lovers it's basically. not it's not it's not rich families who hate each other or anything like that and that's the reason why they can't it's more i guess society is the rich family or whatever you could get into some it's really more of a could get, side could story get, could get into some real like college <laughs> philosophical type shit here like yeah man society is like the capulets and the montagues man <laughs> but um, they are definitely star-crossed lovers anytime you get something uh it may have come up in that loving movie that came out uh late last year too where some sort of rules are set against this these two people getting together, mm-hmm. and that's that's how it is here. And it's just it's filmed in a different context, which I really like. You know, it's not like in the middle of a city or something like that. It's in this open range, this beautiful mountain, 
Oh my god, th- this movie is gorgeous. Yeah, and one of the one of those movies where by the end of it, uh, half the theater is bawling their eyes out. Yep, that was one of those singular movie going exper- experiences I've ever had. Uh, walking out and seeing people like dabbing their eyes mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Is this the last really good performance before Randy Quaid went off the reservation? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I don't. Did, did Randy Quaid, other than Uncle Eddie, ever have like a? I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, he was great comic actor, like Kingpin and and Independence Day, Independence Day, Independence Day, and stuff like that. I don't know if I've ever seen him like just tremendous like this like he's, he's gonna play in a bigot in this movie yeah 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 <laughs> you guys sure found the time to, to, to waste the time out there i was paying you to watch a sheep not to stem the rose yeah yeah <laughs> um but yeah this is good and it just it sort of shows the the, the versatility of ang lee i mean the no guy kidding has, man has, is really not genre bound at all not mm. at all and he can do almost all things well and i think if you know hulk could have it could have been better if it wasn't for the fact that you know he's doing it for a big studio yeah. and everything like that um but uh but he's got just a his roster of movies is just he's he's a hall of famer yeah, i think yeah. we should take a future podcast and discuss the most diverse directors because i know we've talked about this a little before he's in that list and danny mm-hmm. boyle's in that list mm-hmm. and i'm starting to think uh the guy that did logan um Oh, James Mangold? Yeah, that James Mangold mm-hmm. is in that list. People who have just very diverse film backgrounds. But Ang Lee, I think, is what makes this work. I mean, the performance is obviously, but you put this in the hands of another director, and it's a, it's a lifetime movie. Yeah. Okay, so very tough decision here between these two movies. Yep. Who's first? That's you. It's me. <sighs> son of a bitch. Okay. Son of a bitch. <laughs> that son of a bitch. I am gonna go with Brokeback Mountain. Uh huh. Um, I think this movie ultimately is more important than Zero Dark Thirty. Um, now, and that's the kind of stupid kind of thing we're in here, where we're trying to decide what's more important. Uh, you know, uh, homosexuality and its acceptance, or the killing of a major world terrorist. <laughs> Wait till we put either one of them up against Schindler's List. That's more important. Yeah. Um, I think Zero Dark Thirty, bar none, is the more exciting movie. Um, And the performances across the board in that movie. But really, you're focused on Jessica Chastain and that. That's Mm -hmm. her movie. And everybody else is good filler, basically. Yeah. This is uh, two great performances. Three great performances. Anne Hathaway is in this, too. Mm -hmm. I don't think she gets Mm -hmm. much of a chance to do much in this. She doesn't. Um, but, uh, but three great performances. And I think it's a type of movie that if I think it's type of movie, if you're against homosexuality, it might at least make you consider that it'll change, change perspective. I think, I think there's got, there has to be people out there who've had their minds changed by this movie. Mm -hmm. There are others who probably never changed their mind, but they least had to consider it. Mm -hmm. And, um, ultimately that's what I'm going to go with. All right. That scene after that first year watching the sheep when they get back and say goodbye Mm -hmm. and Heath Ledger walks over to the side of the building bends down on his knees and starts crying and punching the wall. And there's a dude walking by. He's like, the fuck are you looking at? Like, I feel like he's just had a taste in that relationship on the mountain of something he thought he could never have. Mm -hmm. That he had had urges, perhaps. 
but had just accepted society wants me to be this way. And then he has this experience and it's over. Mm. And he just weeps. He just openly weeps. I just, I, it's Broke Brack Mountain. Sorry, Barrett. Ah, I'm sorry, right. Zero Dark Thirty. I think Jessica Chastain is great in that movie, mm-hmm. but I I don't think there's any performance in Zero Dark Thirty that can match what the two leads are doing in Brokeback Mountain. Mm-hmm. And I do think it's a more important movie. And um, I do think it's it makes me feel more. Mm-hmm. Zero Dark Thirty is electric. It's tense as fuck for the last 30 minutes. It's If you like that kind of stuff, watch it. Enjoy it. But I don't think you're going to be thinking about this the next day or for days later. Whereas, like you were saying, I think this movie, Brokeback, has the potential to maybe nudge some people here mm-hmm. or there on, on this particular issue. But even if it doesn't, it's just a heartbreaking love story. Like so many real life romances that just that never happen. Yeah, it's sad. Sorry, Barrett. I'll plant a flag for Zero Dark Thirty. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the only knock that I have on this movie is that um, the Navy guys are kind of interchangeable. The characters, mm-hmm. like even somebody like Chris Pratt and Joel Edgerton, yeah. both of whom are terrific actors, I get them kind of confused in that movie. They're they're kind of just kind of in the background and uh, yeah. only show up. Really, Jason you know, Clark has the showiest role of all mm-hmm. those guys. I mm-hmm. think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you lie to me, I hurt you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm not your friend. But it's a great <laughs> movie. You should watch both of them. Uh, so that means that Brokeback Mountain wins. Brokeback. Wow. Moves on. All right. Now to our final in the West region. The this is the last nine, one? The eight and nine. This is wow. the last one. We will be officially into the second round. Yeah. This. All right. So the eight seed Amadeus. Uh-huh. Ooh. This is musically themed. Number nine, Whiplash. Yes. Whoa. God, now we're back to this classic versus modern. Yep. Yep. You did that on purpose, didn't you? No. I said it back in the 1984 podcast that Amadeus surprised me because I had not, I didn't see this movie forever. Mm-hmm. Like I was kind of afraid of a, you know, period piece, you know, whatever. I was seven when it came out. And then when I got older, I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, it might be good and everything, but it's one of these period pieces, probably real stuffy period piece. When I finally got around to watching it, I was like, holy shit, this isn't stuffy at all. This is funny. Yeah. And it's gr- it's got a great story to it and everything. Tom Hulse is amazing in this. Yeah, he really uh, is. yeah and the, the movie moves for this I, it's not really an epic. I mean, it's only told over a period of, what, four or five, uh, maybe 10 years, something like that. Uh, so maybe it is technically, but it moves. And I, the last time I saw it, I watched the director's cut, which is long, but it moved. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. all of a sudden you're you're in the, the part where Solieri is helping Mozart compose his last thing. Like it just kind of goes and goes and goes. And you got these wonderful... Uh, Tom Holtz is so great because he's such a fucking free spirit. And you think of Mozart and you think of these great composers as being singularly focused. Mm -hmm. But Mozart was out there fucking getting drunk, Mm -hmm. drinking his face off, you know, screwing around with with women, things like that. And he's just this character. He's not just this stuffy composer, I will make beautiful music. He was incredibly prolific, but he was also not pigeonholed and that's what i think is cool about this movie it it lets that come out i saw a bit of this since we voted for 84 which i guess was like a year or half a year ago (laughs) i've seen bits of this since then and and tom holtz reminds me of that chaplin era robert downey jr Mm -hmm. in that just a little bit unhinged unpredictable 
kind of wild in their eyes. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Like, Downey Jr. is much too old now if they were to remake it or whatever. But back in that, like, when he was making Two Girls and a Guy with James Toback, and then (laughs) that era when he was doing a lot of ad-lib and free spirit He was unhinged back then, man. Yeah, he would have been great in an Amadeus. But uh, you're right. If if Tom Hulse is not so good, maybe this movie is not even being discussed right now, mm-hmm. right? Like, you have to have a pretty charismatic lead to carry a movie like this. Well, and our, I mean, is our lead really Mozart in this? I mean, you have uh, Salieri, F. Mary Abraham, who really mm-hmm. sort of carries this movie. He's, yeah. It's through his eyes. Um, yeah, of course, the movie's called Amadeus, but it's about his sort of like, this is a guy that probably to the average music listener is just as good as Mozart, uh-huh. you know, he, but it's one of those goodwill hunting type things where like, you know, there's really no, you know, the average person can't see the difference between will hunting and the professor, you right. know, but you know, the they're one, he's yeah. one of them. Well, yeah. and yeah, <laughs> and there's no better example of it than when there's that March that Salieri is composed and, you know, it's perfectly fine. The, the, the royalty, the nobleman or whoever it is, is like, you know, this is perfectly fine. Uh, Mozart, can you play this for us? And he takes the music and he's just, he's hammering it out, not even looking. Yeah. Just, he already knows the music. And then he puts his embellishments on it. Mm-hmm. And you see Salieri's face just, yeah. This, yeah. this cloud come over him and saying like, I can't, I can't come anywhere near It's so funny to me that you mentioned Goodwill Hunting, because I've always gotten that from Skarsgård's character. Like, he's a little jealous. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? yeah, like, yeah. Definitely. He professes to want to help this kid. He probably really does, but he really wants to help younger him. Yep. And he really sees how much of a failure he is compared to what this kid's going to be able to accomplish. And he wants the glory for when yeah. that guy becomes something big. The, 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 yeah, the Goodwill Hunting has, has that scene in it where he's... He's, it's the, you know, you know how easy this is for me? Yeah. This is a fucking joke and yeah. all that. And he sets fire to the equation and all that. And like, as he's walking out, you know, it's like, yeah, there are only a few people on the earth that can see the difference between you and me, but I'm one of them. Yeah. And, and it's the same thing here with Salieri because, you know, it's, it, I mean, I, I don't think very many people have the, the exquisite taste to know you know, well, that's perfectly fine versus something that's, you know, amazing or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to stuff like that. And, mm-hmm. um, and it, and it is kind of a, you know, it's a heartbreaking thing to watch him. You know, he feels like he, I mean, he, he feels like he is as talented and as far as he can possibly go and he can never reach what Mozart. Yeah. Does. He's at capacity. He, mm-hmm. he knows there there's a gear that I don't have. And, and, because he's seen it up close, you do kind of sympathize with him. After mm-hmm. a while, you're just like, man, you know, this is, it's right in his face. And mm-hmm. they are rivals only in the sense that he thinks they're rivals. Yep. Mozart could care fucking less about Solieri, except that he can trans he can transcribe his his uh his last work on his deathbed basically well, yeah and even when there's the scene where Mozart's making fun of him and everything mm-hmm. uh, Salieri takes this as sort of a like a salvo or whatever where it's just him playing around and being goofy and everything yeah. he he doesn't think one way or the other about it <laughs> that's probably the more damning uh statement about their relationship is that it's not a salvo it's just you know i'm just gonna make fun of you no big deal yeah he takes it as like this amazing like oh my god he's thrown the gauntlet down or whatever uh, it's also my it's also got a great gary oldman cameo as beethoven <laughs> it does it does 
Austin. Some of his best work. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> that's amazing. Yep. And Milos- then later when he's like Dracula, that's that's so crazy. <laughs> Very weird. Mm-hmm. Milos Foreman like hit a fucking home run mm-hmm. with this. I mean, so it was nine years from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest to this. Mm-hmm. And both of those are just incredible to me obviously in very different ways but the way that he paces this and the way he structures this with the death of mozart at the beginning and then salieri attempting suicide and everything and then where it wraps around to the end and it's got that emotional just whammy when you see the the coffin come out and the the requiem playing and everything this is just an incredible fucking movie. I can't hear the name Milos without thinking of that Seinfeld episode with the tennis instructor who's terrible, who wants Jerry to let him win. <laughs> That's another part for Milos! <laughs> <laughs> the little baby! <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Amadeus is incredible. It goes up against Whiplash. Jesus. Whiplash. Um, Whiplash um, is still probably one of the most intense movie make movie going experiences I've had in the last five years. Oh yeah, it's up there, man. It's this is not a movie that telegraphs in any way the intensity that's coming. Yeah, and even when it gets tense as fuck, you still don't realize what's coming. You mm-hmm. like, there's almost a double ending here. It's one of my. It's one of the my favorite things about this movie is that it manages to gut punch me twice yeah. in, in the finale. Once when he fucks over Miles Teller, which is just kind of one of those, holy shit, yep. how little character and moral fiber do you actually have, you vindictive prick. Yeah. And he he goes off and his dad's there and you think, oh, what a depressing movie. And then he's like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to go back in there and claim this moment, no matter what happens. And then he just flips the script entirely. And I'm telling, I told you this before, by the end of it, I'm convinced they have complete utmost respect for each other. Like they come to some understanding of peace in the midst of playing that song. There's no doubt about it. And in a way, there's, there's a couple of things going on here. Yes, it's a fuck you to J.K. Simmons. But J.K. Simmons, it's also sort of a, a, sort of a culmination of his teachings. Finally, finally hitting home here he he pushed him he's right pushed he's right in fact he did the ultimate thing to fuck this guy up and he came back and did this uh it's a vindication for all the things that he's done we can debate endlessly as to whether or not this kind of pushing is warranted in any situation it's it's downright abuse oh yeah absolutely is what do you stand on that do you think it's warranted do you think this is the ends justify the means? Well, I okay. Can we can we talk? Uh, can we let our hair down? A little yeah, bit man. Do about it. about perfectionism uh-huh. and everything. How, how much? How much do you guys have you have ever experienced that? Do you experience perfectionism in any way? Absolutely, a little bit, a little bit. Uh, yeah, I think I think you guys know just from my notes on things and you know, scripts and and uh, on edits yeah. and everything like that. I'm very like, I don't think I'm to the point of like J.K. Simmons territory. That's the really extreme example. I can see what drives his character. Um, I think a lot of people might think it extreme, but if unless you have dabbled into, well, dabbled, unless you've really sort of seeped yourself into perfectionism in any sort of way, you won't recognize why his the there the that moment where his, the ultimate cruelty where he says, you know, there's no two worse words in the English language than nice job. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is something that 
it basically says you all you may never reach perfection, but you should always strive towards it. And maybe you'll have that one moment where you finally hit it. Um, so, uh, I don't think it's warranted. Mm -hmm. I think perfectionism is something that is in many ways, a flaw of human character more than if you can do that to a certain degree where you just want to have excellence and everything, you make sure that you do things the, the right way, quote unquote, or, um, you're trying, you're, you're not you're not like being lazy about what you're doing and everything. I think that it has some merit, but when you're at the point where nothing is right, nothing mm. is, ever, nothing can ever satisfy you. I think that's where it gets into abuse and a flaw of human character. Mm. You went deeper than I was going to go. I was going to say I had two little league coaches when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. They were brothers. And one was a screamy, yelly guy. And one was an encourager guy. And there were moments that I needed both of those guys Right? Like, there were mm -hmm. moments, depending on my mood and my situation, that I needed to be encouraged and not yelled at. Mm -hmm. And there were times that I needed to hear, Jeremy, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> uh, to motivate me, right? So I think there's a place for both. What J.K. Simmons in this movie has always reminded me of a drill sergeant, mm -hmm. of somebody who knows there's, there's so much potential danger out there if you screw up that I need to get you perfect. How, whatever means necessary. We're not going to make the mistake in front of an audience. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, clearly I think he goes too far, but I think that's because it's a movie. I think everybody in life who's ever played a sport or been in band uh, has had a coach or a band director or a leader who has, has been a pusher, who has been a yeller. Uh, and I think it's a perfectly valid motivational technique. I just think you need a, a balance, a mix. For a while there, it is, it's, it's perfectly acceptable what he does because he wants to make sure, I think he's pretty sure that miles teller is the better drummer of all the three right. that are going mm -hmm. for it. But he always wants him to be looking behind him, you know, and making sure that like, look, you're never in this seat for good. You need to always earn it. Uh, and I think there's some good to that. Now, obviously throwing drumsticks and like, you know, <laughs> you know, hitting people and, uh, throwing stuff around and all that. That's where it gets into the abuse situation and everything. And that scene, now you said something pretty interesting about the scene where the three drummers are basically just getting cycled around and everything. They are off. Like he says, mm -hmm. he says they are, which yeah. I, I don't recognize. I never recognize that. Yeah, I always um, took that scene as he's just fucking with all of them. I think he is, but I mean, there's it works on several levels because yes, they are getting off, but he's not getting giving them a chance to get in any sort of rhythm, which right. obviously you need to do as a drummer. Yeah, um, this movie drives me crazy on a, on a very different level mm -hmm. in that yes, I understand drill sergeants and sports and stuff like that where you have to you know really push and and scream and do everything. This is jazz. Mm -hmm. This is the most unformed art that you can imagine. Mm -hmm. And yet he's so precise with these these songs that are so written out of chaos, basically. There's yeah. all these moving parts. He's talking about improv with Charlie Parker and all these things, um, how they all, you know, take this and take that, take these parts and that kind of thing. And yet he's he's driven to this precision, which is so strange to me in this universe mm -hmm. he makes the the comparison about charlie parker you know throwing the symbol at somebody's head um yeah okay that that's one thing but in his head he's probably not like 
going over and over and over and over and over all this repetition. Miles Davis was the same way. I mean, he was whacked out of his noodle on fucking heroin half the time that he was creating this stuff. So the, the fact that it's in this universe, I know that, that it exists, obviously, but it's just so strange to me that this is where all of this tension comes from. It works perfectly, though. Well, I think I agree and disagree because I I agree completely that jazz is a, is a much more free form musical art form. Mm. But I feel like that's more about where the song and the in, the instrumentation goes. There still has to be technical precision to the players, mm. especially when we come to tempo. No more important with drums than it is anywhere else. So I I still kind of get it that even though it's a free form art art form I guess uh, he still has a vision he's still he's still the boss of this the leader of this the band director mm-hmm. this is what he wants this song to sound like anyway he's just, beholden to the page is is my point no I get that um, I get that but he still is I think it's ego mm-hmm. I think there's a mix there he's not like the pure musical prophet. There's still some personal demons in there. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think he might even rather be a performer than a director and whatnot. I'd love to see a prequel when he was in jazz Exactly. School. I mean, that's that's the whole thing of the ends justifying the means for this particular cat. He doesn't care how it gets to it. It's right. his vision, and there's no room for somebody else's vision in that vision. Yeah. Which is what's fucked up to me, is that someone's idea of perfectionism J.K. Simmons' version of perfectionism is not necessarily Miles Teller's version of perfectionism. Mm -hmm. And that's why he has to push the pupil to get to another level that he probably can't even get to. And so that's what... You can tell how much I love this movie because I can can get into all the nitty-gritty points of that stuff. But that's... The the central conflict can be teased apart so much that I I, I love it. I love it. Yeah, and it just goes to show... I mean, obsession and how far one's willing to go. Miles Teller is the perfect character for this uh, in this because he's he's going out with a girl and it's going out. It's going yeah. very well and everything. And he decides cold turkey to just drop her. Yeah. You know, it's like, look, to be really good, I can't be focusing on anything else but my drumming. That's a fucked up scene, too, it man. Really it is. Is. <laughs> it really he's, is. He's almost emotionless. He's and, like, and it's what's a, the problem? And it's a point, too, where he, uh, I think he ends up, like, inviting her to come out and see him and everything and sort of expecting, like, there to be, like, some sort of, like, reunion or yeah. whatever. And it's like, you went as cold-hearted as possible yeah. on this. You're basically saying there's no way I can be a good drummer if you know if i date you and go out with you for like four hours and a night or whatever um so we have a difficult decision here yes we do amadeus versus whiplash who's first jeremy well i'm going whiplash Mm-hmm. trying to think of what to say to support that decision <laughs> makes me feel more mm-hmm. it socks me in the gut more there might be a little more magic in amadeus um, and certainly that period piece, you know, intrigue that, you know, a modern movie doesn't give you, but I can't think of a movie since 2000 that has punched me in the gut twice in the last 10 minutes, like <laughs> Whiplash. And that maybe it did that to everybody and I'm just awarding it extra points for no reason, but, uh, it's just eminently watchable. If mm-hmm. you ever took music lessons of any kind i never had one teacher who was demanding uh i think you're gonna eat it up mm-hmm. and uh that's my pick i'm sorry i'm sorry wolfgang amadeus <laughs> Mozart. amadeus has spectacle 
almost there, there's a couple times where it's to its detriment, I think, because mm-hmm. it's such a great story and it's such good performances. That scene where his dad shows up on the stairwell, the famous, you know, where he's in the cloak and the mask and all that stuff, yeah. is to me very heavy handed. Because mm-hmm. he's literally just on this. He's stopping by. And of course, there's a lot of stuff tied up into this daddy issue story and everything. But he's stopping by just to say hi to Mozart and to, to live with him and everything. But it's shot from the bottom of the stairs and he's in that cloak. <laughs> and that's, that's, I mean, it's, it's splitting hairs here. But uh, Whiplash is one of my favorite movies of the last 10 years, very easily. Yeah. Um, and I will probably watch it another. 20 times and not get sick of it. So sorry to take away the suspense. We've, we've actually gone suspense free on all these picks so far, but I'm choosing whiplash. Yeah. It would have been unanimous. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, it would have been whiplash anyway, even if you'd picked Amadeus. Uh, I'm going to pick, I was going to pick this because, and you could tell by the way we were talking about this movie, it really just got a whole bunch of like, you know, we had a whole bunch of stuff to say yeah. that this movie brings out and everything. So, uh amadeus is certainly a great movie and again go see it yeah um but whiplash has got the one that is the one that you're going to go to more often in this in this fight amadeus so. amadeus, amadeus. <laughs> <laughs> all right so whiplash moves on so here is what the west region second round is it'll be back to the future versus whiplash <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> it'll be the incredibles versus the empire strikes back wow <laughs> Oh, Ex Machina versus The Usual Suspects. Oh, it's going to get harder and harder. And Brokeback Mountain versus The Matrix. Ah, that may be the toughest region. It could be. In the second round. It could be, but I have a feeling that we've forgotten a few already that might... Uh, <laughs> whimper. Whimper. Um, so we're finally uh, up to the second round. Woohoo! And the second round will go a little bit faster. We'll we'll be able to say this movie or this movie. Mm-hmm. Maybe there'll be a little bit of you know preamble and everything, but then we'll go right into the voting. I think yeah. so. Um, but that was fun to get through all that. Yeah. I mean, it uh, we we took some some movies out that uh, you know w- would have been nice to see them move on. Sixty eight movies, man. But a lot of win. a lot of times, uh, you know, we saved that movie from having to go up against something really <laughs> like amazing. So there yeah. can be only one. Yes, <laughs> yeah, that's right. We need to we need to find a way to put Highlander in this in this uh, March Madness somehow. You know, I got a uh, we got a comment on SoundCloud from Cirrus Minor is his handle on on the thing, and he's a French guy. And apparently, we were correct that Christopher Lambert also is a B movie actor in France. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Feel <laughs> good about my pick then. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so uh, Nature Box, we're we're here to talk about Nature Box again. Yeah, Yay. yeah. Nature Box is is awesome. If you if you haven't heard the other podcast where we've been pimping Nature Box, mm-hmm. this is uh, you know another one that we're pimping. Nature we Box straight on. pimps, yo. That's right. So. Um, my wife and I may have to join a support group mm-hmm. <laughs> because our first Nature Box we ordered five snacks. Mm-hmm. Our second one we ordered six snacks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then we just ordered nine snacks. Jesus. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. Um, and it's I think it's going to come today. And we've both just kind of been tiptoeing around the house like, is it today? Is it today? <laughs> because uh, it's just so freaking good. We went to the grocery yesterday and we didn't want to buy snacks because we knew we had Nature Box coming. And nice. those are superior snacks. Yes, and they we are. We didn't want to just fill up the space in our pantry with 
you know, terrible snacks. Yeah. I don't know what you call people like me that are, what is it? Is it pepperheads, ch- chili heads, fire, fireheads? The people stupid who people. like, you know what? Stupid people that, that like spice. Well, probably, you probably invented a name today. Pepperhead? Pepperhead. That's going to be, that's a band name. You know Somebody what? out there is going to You know take, what? What are you guys called? <laughs> yeah, we're the Pepperheads. <laughs> we're the Pepperheads. <laughs> we're from the UK. <laughs> but uh, I love like the sriracha cashews, like the cheddar and chili hatch crackers and mm-hmm. shit like that. Man, man, I can, I could, if, if my, if my skin is burning, yep. that's my jam. Mm-hmm. Like that, See, that's what I want. I can't do the spicy stuff. Mm-hmm. I was not blessed by my parents with a strong palate, um, mm-hmm. but- Thankfully, they have a lot of that stuff if you do like spicy stuff, but they have a lot of stuff that's not spicy. Oh, right? yeah. And our, my wife and I's new jam is to basically fill half the box with snacks that are, you know, favorites, standbys. We mm. love the, I love the cheddar sourdough pretzels, and she loves the big big Hawaii pineapple or mm. big kahuna. I don't know what it's called. Big, <laughs> big kahuna burger. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but then we fill the other half of the box with stuff we haven't had before. So this time I've got some kind of honey Dijon pretzel nugget coming that i'm excited about and we got some dried mango i think um and again we've yet to have one that we were like this wasn't any good i don't ever want this again we haven't had a single one like that's the main thing about them right like even when we get our sample box here and Mm -hmm. everything there's always something that i'm like don't know if i've ever thought about those flavors together before and then you try it and you're like oh Oh, this is <laughs> this it. is delightful. Yeah. <laughs> creme brulee peanuts. Why? Man. Were, yeah. Why weren't creme brulee, pe- brulee peanuts in my uh, <laughs> like wheelhouse before? Yeah. Like now, it's all I think about is creme brulee peanuts. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's, a, that's an important part of every balanced diet. Exactly creme, includes creme brulee peanuts Indeed. and aged cheddar lentil loops. I don't that's know correct. why I am so into these freaking things. It's good stuff because lentils on their own got no interest in that. Uh, but they take lentils and a little bit of potato, and they make these little curly pigtail-looking things, and they throw some cheddar in there. And mm-hmm. I, I love it. Like, I think I might have even ordered two bags of that in this nice. most recent box. <laughs> there was something else. I don't know what it was called either, but it was some sort of dried pineapple, like, slices or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's Big Island Pineapple. Oh, oh my you. God. Thank those you. things yeah. were so good, that's, man. Yeah, my yeah. wife loves those. Oh, my God. Like, yeah, it's just like, that's one of those where it's just, you know, it's like it, you open up the bag, it's all, you know... Maybe Nature Box doesn't want to hear this, but this is perfect because it's all gooey and sticky inside. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you have to like pull them apart. And it's like you pull one out and you start, you're like, oh, dried pineapple, huh? And then like you're suddenly transported into another, you know, age and time. My wife says she takes one bite and then next thing she knows, the bag is gone. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like she's finished them all. It uh, is exactly that. So you, if you want to get involved in the Nature Box jam mm-hmm. uh, and, and have conversations like this, Mm-hmm, with your friends mm-hmm. and family. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can go to naturebox.com slash syncast. That's right. And you can get 50% off your first order. Yep. That's half. Yeah. That's significant. This is a company that is putting its money where its mouth is. Mm-hmm. Our snacks are good. Yeah. To prove it, half off. Yeah. So, this is great stuff. Don't delay. You can be cool like us. That's right. Just go to naturebox.com slash syncast. Do it. Correct. Do it. No, no, it'll be a scream. Do it. Do it. <laughs> do it. Um, all right. So we're going to do some Q&A? Let's do it, baby. Q my A. A my Q. Ooh, ooh. That's a good song. Somebody <laughs> needs to put a beat under that. Question. Question. I got something to say. I want the truth. I am listening. You want to do a surprise question first? Yay! 
Barrett will have to do some uh, sound fixing on that one. Just for the record, it's been so long since I answered any of these questions over email. All of them will be surprise questions. Oh, nice. Nice. I'm not even sure I can dig up my answers. Well, the first question is geared towards both of you more because I don't usually get into this very often. Uh, This question came in from SoundCloud. What are some of your favorite DVD or Blu-ray movie commentaries, both as an entertaining listen and for insight into the film? Now, I know Chris watches a lot of uh, extra audio commentary. You mentioned it earlier. And I know Jeremy does, too. What are some of the, the, the really good ones? I used to. They don't make them very much anymore. Like, the commentaries, I haven't been seeing them as often. I don't know. I feel like they do them just as much now. Really? I, I It feels like every time I put in a Blu-ray, the extra features, it's commentary with this, or maybe even two tracks. Sometimes. Maybe I just stop looking for it. Yeah, I think that's a possibility, because I... I generally don't have time a lot of times these days to just throw on some commentary. Uh, You know, like I bought that four hour extended edition Lord of the Rings, all three of them and everything. And they have like four different commentary tracks on all of them. (laughs) And, you know, one's the cast, one's the director, one, you know, it's like a million different commentaries. And it's like, I'm sure there are people who have not only heard all of those commentaries, but have heard them more than once. <laughs> um, but uh, that's just something I don't have the time for. Yeah. Um, the, uh, there's a couple of them that I really like. Uh, Alexander Payne on election. Oh, yeah. I bet that's good. Uh, is great. And in fact, you can there you can see that he's probably got a little cinema sins in him. Oh, yeah. Because uh, there's a there's a moment in there where um, he says, uh he says there's a part, you know, there's a part where Broderick's on the phone talking to the to the woman he he's had an affair with and everything, and and uh, she hangs up on him. He's like, he's like, now you notice that after she hangs up on him, there's not a dial tone. <laughs> 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 I've always hated that in movies, but it's very illuminating because there are things that Alexander Payne was thinking about making this movie that you probably would never think of on your own. Mm. Um, he, 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 he even brings up some things like, yeah, this is just for me. You know, this, I have them in this, I have them positioned this way in this shot because it's this and that it means this to me or whatever. But one of the things in the ele- in election that I didn't notice the first time around was, uh, how many times circles and garbage show up in election huh. showing how Mr. McAllister is always running in circles uh. and like there's, you know, they, there's a lot of like stuff with the track and there's like, uh-huh. you know, and there's a lot of stuff with garbage too. Like, you know, obviously that's a big plot point in the movie. Um, he, he really gives you a lot of insight into that movie. Uh, and so if, if you haven't seen election, see election. We've, we've pimped that movie yeah. several times <laughs> on this, but his commentary on that is great too. Uh, and then there's another one, uh, zero effect, which is another movie uh-huh. that I've, I've, uh, you know, sworn by Jake Kasdan's on that and that he's talking about it and everything. And it's a fun, it's a fun little commentary uh-huh. too. Uh, especially from the perspective of a guy who I believe was directing his first movie, if not like one of his first movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and talking about getting all these amazing actors for 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 it and everything, you got Ryan O'Neill, Ben Stiller, yeah. and then he's got Bill Pullman. And it's just uh, uh, Bill Pullman is you know I, you know I think a lot of people was well, he an amazing actor? He's an amazing actor in this yeah. for sure. Uh, but uh, that was a good commentary as well. Nice. Well, I can't remember a specific commentary where it was just like, oh, that's so 
badass. But I do remember, in terms of bonus features, the Finding Nemo DVD had a lot of cool shit. And this was right around the time that Pixar was finally starting to sort of perfect water. Yeah. Um, and they, they kind of had to before they could put this movie out because so much of it took place in water. <laughs> yeah. But the behind-the-scenes stuff shows all everything from the underwater footage they captured as their basis to start with, the trips they took to aquariums to watch their early animation attempts that aren't as good. And, of course, you probably know this if you've ever seen a, a behind-the-scenes of any Pixar movie is that they have this rough cut. Uh, like long before they're actually doing the computer animation and they brought in Ellen DeGeneres or whoever to do voices, they just grab people around the office and they have these little rude, crude hand sketches, almost like a flip book. And they basically do a rough sketch of this movie with fake, you know, rough temp voices. This is how you end up with directors like yeah. Brad Bird doing Edna Mode and Andrew Stat Stanton doing Crush because uh -huh. those were what they did in this temp thing. But it was so funny. Everybody said, you got to do it in the real one, too. So the Finding Nemo DVD, I remember I spent hours and hours going through those extras. And those were really cool. And then I just want to say any DVD that has a bloopers package yeah. is the best DVD mm -hmm. ever. <laughs> and I don't understand why every movie doesn't have bloopers on the DVD. Because I know you fucked up sometimes. Yeah. Right? Just give it to me. I want to see mistakes, damn it. It's they fun. kill. Like those Star Trek movies, J.J. Abrams' 2009 Star Trek blooper yeah. reel is fucking hilarious. I bet. <laughs> anyway. I'm sure that there are some movies that they don't put a blooper reel on because they don't want you to color the what you see. It, like if it's a serious drama or I something guess. like that. But it would be hilarious, though, to watch somebody in the middle of some just, just you know, gut-punching scene suddenly just break out laughing for whatever <laughs> One reason. of the best Saturday Night Live skits, when somebody can't keep their shit together, Yeah, right? That's yep. why the Carol Burnett stuff with Tim McCarver and all those... Is it Tim McCarver? No, he has a base. <laughs> Tim, Tim Conway. Conway. Tim Conway. Tim McCarver, Tim Conway, six of one, half dozen of the other. <laughs> That's why that shit was so funny, is because those guys cracked each other up all yeah. the time. And I know a lot of people give shit to Jimmy Fallon, but if Jimmy Fallon started laughing in the middle of an SNL sketch, that, get, that was going to be gold all yeah. the way through, because he couldn't keep his shit together. <laughs> right. One of the things I came across uh, recently, and it's on YouTube, was the Cable Guy blooper reel. Mm -hmm. oh. And man, that's just terrific stuff. And it's funny to see Jim Carrey struggle to get through something because it just everything seems so effortless to him. But he's got this line where he's at Stephen's family's dinner and everything, where he's trying to get out uh, a line about Goodfellas. He's like a story of five people, five tough guys uh, from New York that uh, are trying to, and, and he can't get through the line. And like it, it's paced throughout this blooper reel where it's like five times he just can't get it out, mm -hmm. and he's finally just like fuck it, fuck it I'm done, <laughs> and the, the line isn't in the movie. So that's pretty hilarious. <laughs> it's a good one. It's a really good one. Uh, this one comes to us from a family member. Oh, I know what it is. Yes, from Jeremy's cousin. I listened to the syncast today, and the random medicine man quote <laughs> that was you. Uh, gave me a great question for you guys. I want to know. Each of your white whale movies, a movie that you always wanted to see, but never got around to seeing until much, much later. And then you were totally disappointed. Uh, his was Medicine Man. Uh, came out right when he was starting to watch PG-13 movies. Uh, and then he watched it and was tremendously disappointed. Uh, yeah. What do you think? Everyone, by the way, everyone who saw Medicine Man was tremendously yes. disappointed. <laughs> You're not unique there, right? Um, my example is not a good example. And I recognize <laughs> this right off the bat. Okay. Uh, because I need to give this movie a better chance. I was probably tired when I saw it, whatever. Mm. Um, but the good, the bad, and the ugly is this ah. for me. I hadn't seen this movie in forever. Finally watched it probably the first time three or four years ago. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I watched the whole Man with No Name trilogy all the way through. So I saw Fistful of Dollars and mm. all that. So it got to the good, the bad, and the ugly, and and uh, and like it just felt interminable, man. It was just it it just felt that way to me. It was super long. They're like they're looking for like a cash box. Yeah. And and like there's a point where they get mixed up in the Civil War yeah. and all this other type of stuff. I mean, yeah, they it's a it's a you know, it's a moment where they have to blow up a bridge and all this other stuff. But I uh it was and then when it got to that big finale with Eli Wallach and and Von Cleef and Eastwood mm-hmm. and everything, it's like, okay, you know, I, I this has probably been ruined for me because I've seen this kind of thing a bunch now. And I know this scene, you know, backward and forward because it's one of those famous scenes they always show. Um, So it was a movie that did not hit me right when I watched it. And I've only seen it the one time. Did you like the previous ones? Did you like fistful of dollars? I thought those were just perfectly okay. Oh really? Yeah. I, I just, it was a, it was a gap in my movie watching. Mm hmm. And usually when there's a gap, I end up like super filling it. <laughs> um, so like it's it, it's like I oh I haven't seen any of this director's movies. Okay, I'm gonna watch five of them. You know, it's one of those type of things. <laughs> and with this, it was it was that. You know, I had not seen any of those movies, so I started with those and got to the good, bad, and the other. I was like, hey, yeah. I mean, I didn't think it was terrible. It was just it wasn't a it was a movie that just when I finally saw it, I was like, that's what we were. That's what it's like in the top 10 of the IMDb and all that. I'm going to give it another chance. I know a lot of you out there, Mm -hmm. big, good, bad, and the ugly fans and everything. I will give it another chance and I will look at it with with fresh eyes. Yeah. I like how Clint Eastwood's character is more fully realized than what it's portrayed as. Mm -hmm. Like he's not, it's almost like in the, in popular culture, like he's mute. Or something like that. Like, no, he's he's interactive and charming and Is this the one from Back to the Future 2 where Marty gets the idea to put the stove thing under his... Was it three or two? Back to the Future 2 in the future, because Biff, Biff is watching it in the hot tub with the hot ladies. And then when he goes back into uh, three, he, he yeah, remembers yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But is it good and bad, the ugly, or do we know which I think so. No, no, no. That was a, a, a fistful of dollars, because he's got oh, the... Because yeah. Biff's uh, like, ha! Bulletproof vest! <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Uh, my answer came to my mind immediately, and it's not because anyone ever hyped this movie but me. Mm-hmm. When I was about 10 years old, my mom brought home from the library Disney's The Sword and the Stone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, I was about as big a King Arthur nerd as you could get. And there was plenty of King Arthur material at that point that my mom would not let me near, like Excalibur. But I was into King Arthur. I knew enough. I was into it. And at this point in my life, the only way we got to see movies was if mom brought them home from the library. And the library had a selection of like 60, I'm guessing. (laughs) Uh, So she brings home the sword and the stone for me, something else for my brother. And I was pumped. I I knew I was going to love this. I loved the Robin Hood Disney movie. I loved, I I was ready. Mm Mm-hmm. At, at, through circumstances beyond my control, it had to go back to the library before I got to see it. Uh-huh. And I came home from school to find out it had been taken back to the library, and I bawled <laughs> like a baby. Wow. I cried because I didn't get to see this movie <laughs> I knew I was going to love. And I didn't I didn't watch it till college. Really? And by then, I was like, what an idiot I was. <laughs> like, a 10-year-old me was such a moron for crying. I mean, it's a, it's a charming little yeah. 1960s Disney animated film. There's absolutely nothing in it 
that should have made me want to see it that badly that I <laughs> cried when I missed the chance. Uh, so Sword in the Stone, that was my wow. white whale that turned out disappointing. This is a, a good moment to break in real quick. I'm, I'm going to throw this out there. There is a new King Arthur movie coming out there is. in May. Currently, I am throwing my hands up in the air as to what to tentpole for that. Either the Antoine Fuqua King Arthur that came out in 2004 with, with Keira Knightley, Knightley or that Sword in the Stone. Yeah. What about Excalibur? Nobody would watch that video. Yeah. That would be fun to sin. Podcast uh, listeners, maybe, oh. maybe vote on oh, this. Excellent call. Whether or not uh, we should do King Arthur, Sword in the Stone, or Excalibur. Or First Night with Sean Connery and Richard yeah. Gere. Or First Night, right? <laughs> and that girl who was going to be the next <laughs> Julia big actress Ormond. for two years. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know what? You're, you're going through this uh, sort of made me, reminded me of a good one. Mm-hmm. for this the lost boys was that oh yeah oh yeah now that is a movie that i you know I, I was not allowed to see when i was younger but everybody around me was like lost boys man yeah. such a good movie mm-hmm. and all that and i didn't see lost boys and maybe it was because i needed to be a teenager to really enjoy this but i didn't watch lost boys until i was in my late 20s probably oh well, that's not gonna hit you right and <laughs> yeah you talk about a white whale movie. I watched that and I was like, this sucks. It does. <laughs> this is a terrible if movie. If you'd seen it in the 80s, you would have fucking loved it. Yeah, man. Yeah. And I watched it again. I watched it again at uh, our local Belcourt Theater on a midnight showing. Corey Feldman came out and said <laughs> stuff. That was a that was a weird experience. Corey <laughs> Feldman comes out and he starts talking and like everybody who decides to ask a question is a fucking idiot. <laughs> Everybody who's asking a question was like something like, what is it like being a vampire? Blah, blah, blah. And he goes, well, I was a, I was an actor. I wasn't really a vampire in the movie. And, you know, it's, it's yeah, I, I feel your pain, Corey Feldman. Um, I want to ask questions about the burbs, but. Uh, yeah, man. yeah. But yeah, I've seen that movie twice. And that's, you know, a movie is <laughs> Disappointing awful. both times. Oh, it's really bad. Yeah. It's not good at all. Yeah. Minus Godfather 3. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. So that silent scream, dude. Oh, my God. It's one of the worst moments of film ever. Listen, this movie was... (laughs) (laughs) Jerry just did the silent scream. Uh, This movie was built up in my mind uh, because I didn't see it until a fair amount of years later, about 98 or so. It came out in 1990. Was obsessed with the first two. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just never really got around to to seeing uh, the third one. and. Everything that I heard at that point was fairly positive. You had that iconic, every time I try to get out, they pull me back in and yeah. everything. You had Pacino really towards his his latter-day peak uh, before he went full Pacino. Yep. Um, pre-full Pacino. And you know, I was really into Al Pacino movies at that point, too. So I was really, really looking forward to this. Had great actors in it. You had, you know, Andy Garcia and you had Joe Mantegna and you had, I didn't really know what Sofia Coppola had to offer. Turns out nothing, nothing is an actress. Nothing is an actress. Nothing. Um, right. Which is funny. We 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 had to replace one of our posters and we put Lost in Translation <laughs> yes. back up and Sorry Sofia Coppola is right behind you. Yes. She's behind me. Isn't yeah. she? <laughs> yeah. I'm um, naked, aren't I? But <laughs> just very nude right now. <laughs> but uh, man, that movie is such a disappointment. Like, uh, yes, from it the, is. The characters 
the the weirdness, the incestuous, literal incestuous nature of, of the cousins, uh, right? Yeah, they're cousins. Yeah. Um, Andy Garcia's character is uh, uh, Sonny's illegitimate yeah. son, mm-hmm. um, and not only that, but it's so long and con the fucking looted, man. Mm-hmm. It's all that stuff with like the church bank and everything and there's a lot of politics and yeah man yeah it's not like the excitement of the hyman ross stuff in cuba and the 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 first or the second one or like you know the uh the the maneuvering that's being done uh by vito corleone in the first one mm-hmm. somewhat in the second one it's got really none of that wit or soul or that kind of thing it's just a bunch of de- it almost feels like a star wars prequel to me yeah you know it's oh. like here's a bunch of facts and here's characters that you love, but we're going to fuck them up a little bit. Godfather 3 is one of those movies that I always point to as maybe you waited too long to make this. Yeah. There's a there's such a stark difference in the way movies were made in 1990 compared to what, what was going on in the 70s. Coppola um, made the Godfather like with basically this idea. The studios basically had sort of given themselves over to directors at that point. They weren't like looking for the quick buck like they are today or whatever. They Mm. weren't looking for a $400 million, whatever. And, uh, there was this, these wave of directors coming in that were basically just allowed to do what they wanted to do. And, uh, and, uh, and in 72 and 74, Coppola is just, you know, he's making the movies he wants to make. Mm hmm. Even though, like Robert Evans is like breathing over his shoulder or whatever, it's just you know he's he Coppola's pretty much got the backing of everybody else. Uh, by 1990, movies are so much differently made, and he's a different person. Mm-hmm. It, like uh, it, the if you watch one, two, and three, you see like you know three the the quality of film is better there's more color it doesn't look like it even belongs no and it's the same like i totally get that prequel thing that you're getting because Mm. the prequels come out and that's supposedly something that's happening before a new hope and everything and it looks so much glossier and cleaner and all that uh they they missed the opportunity as far as look is concerned and 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 probably just being able to i mean lucas did what he wanted to do on those movies so we can't really blame studio involvement but still it just uh yeah in by 1990 these movies are just completely different they don't want to they don't want to do those type of things that they did in the 70s where it's you know it it really does look like they're just trying to make a quick is it possible that he just now I'm I'm speaking out of ignorance here, but I'm also the guy who th- tonight has called Osama bin Laden Saddam. <laughs> so bear with me. Maybe the source material just isn't anywhere near as good. Were there three books, or did uh, they just make up well, stories? Puzo, I think wrote yes. all all of these. Yeah. Okay, so maybe the third book is just not as good as the first two. Um, but I don't think he wrote another book. He just wrote the screenplay to this. I think something like that. Mm-hmm. And in fact, they were talking about doing yet another one uh, that takes place after this. Uh, that takes uh, Andy Garcia's character and follows him mm-hmm. um, after he ends the relationship with Sevilla Coppola. Um, and then Talia Shire's character uh, gets gets more involved. She is a stone-cold bitch in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's ordering hits, and she's taking out all kinds of crazy shit. Um, it's just such a weird... You've got the weird dynamic between uh, uh, Michael and Anthony, his son, who wants to be an opera singer, so they go out to Italy and everything. But... Both of the previous two movies had gone out to Italy and had this wonderful feel, this European feel. This is none of that. 
Uh, even when they're, you know, interacting with the Vatican and stuff like that, it just it doesn't have any of that sort of connection. It may have been just it may well has been just a completely different universe. Yeah, um, it's a it's a pale imitation. I will say it's interesting though that he that at the you know at the end of the Godfather, the baby that is going through the coronation or christening or whatever mm-hmm. it is, whatever is Sofia Coppola. And yeah, yeah, it yeah. actually ends up being her playing that yeah. role by the end of it. Yeah. And he sort of got a, uh, you know, he sort of got it in his mind, like, well, we should keep the continuity with yeah. this. You know, it's it's a bit of nepotism, but we'll we keep- should go out of our way to say I think she's got talent, just not as an actress. That's no, right. Oh my goodness, That's correct. she is. Uh, yeah, well, and like, and I think she knows that. That's why we didn't see her <laughs> ever again. Really. Yeah. No. So I don't think she has. She has an extensive acting resume. No. Yeah. Hit me. All right. If you were, uh, I love this one. Who's gonna hit me? <laughs> if you were to direct your ideal love scene, oh baby, and we're giving carte blanche to use any film characters, who would you use, and where would you set your scene, Jeremy? Well, okay. I think I told you this in person. I could probably have spent four hours writing answers to this question. <laughs> yeah. As it turns out, I thought of one immediately and loved it, and that's what I'm going with. Uh, but this is the type of question that just turns the gears right so i'm gonna i'm gonna take gamora from guardians of the galaxy nice and i'm gonna ask her to have a sex scene with captain kirk from jj abrams star trek Mm -hmm. ah and now there's a couple reasons here kirk is already sort of famous for having relationships with green alien women that's right (laughs) there's also going to be that uhura underpinning that's right right? because the same actress zoe saldana is playing Mm -hmm. both characters Mm -hmm. And I would, I would set the sexing on the fucking bridge, man. It's the night shift. Everyone's in their quarters asleep. Gamora sneaks up. Captain Kirk sneaks up. They do it in the captain's chair. They do it on the warp drive controls. They do it over on the comm thing on the freaking floor. Uh, you know, basically a porno as close as I can get without all the nudity. They leave their <laughs> DNA all over the bridge. It looks like a Jackson Pollock painting. That's right. Exactly. They good good little Guardians tie-in there. Nice. The uh, you know, you got to also throw in her character from Avatar as well. <laughs> as well. <laughs> uh, you know, she I could have gone that way too. It's yeah. A good call. Oh good yeah. Call. Uh, I'm gonna pick two characters that have a lot of connection so i'm going to take brad pitt from fight club mm-hmm. who is shown just being able to go all night even right? though he's not real but That's go right ahead. right and i'm going to take angelina jolie from gia also proven wow. not to be real yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and two people who went on to be married that's right exactly so his his character is just obviously imaginary but unhinged in fight club sure um and just you know, those weird, foggy, warpy sex scenes that they show of him and uh, Helena Bonham Carter in there are just where it seems like just the vilest shit is going on here. Uh, so you could get a lot of like dangerous type of shit. Same thing could be said with Gia mm-hmm. uh, for Angelina Jolie. Um she has all kinds of she's this uh this model that comes out of nowhere and just this force of nature that burns out very quickly but she has a lot of sex yep. in this movie too and she's naked she's having sex with elizabeth mitchell and she's mm-hmm. having sex with all you know, there's a about. fence there's yeah. a fence involved that's right uh, speaking of fences i'm setting this in jail oh whoa mm-hmm. as a conjugal you, visit mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Well, I can only assume that Gia is visiting Tyler Durden in yes. jail because yes. he's more likely to get arrested. Yep. So I think, I think that'd be fun. Yeah. I found something better than conjugal physics sex. Physics sex. <laughs> Escape prison sex. <laughs> conjugal visit sex. That is happening. Yeah. Um, Kermit and Miss Piggy. <laughs> Oh man! Because how does that oh, work? Oh, how does that work exactly? I hope you're going to go all meet the feebles on this shit. Oh, we have to because Kermit the Frog, because he is a frog, yep. has a cloaca. <laughs> God damn it! Will you say that again? He has a what? A, a what? I want to hear it again. <laughs> Kermit, but Kermit the Frog, <laughs> by definition, <laughs> as a frog, has a cloaca. <laughs> cloaca. <laughs> what is a cloaca? <coughs> it's the thing that the sperm comes out of to fertilize the eggs. Excellent. Now, what does Miss Piggy have that's unique? She has a pig vagina. Awesome. Sweet. <laughs> Do they call that anything funky, like a pigina? Probably. All right. Yeah. Pagina. Swinegina. Yeah. Which which G work? Which G gets it? The soft G or the hard G? It's kind of like GIF and JIF, right? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> which Except is with pig definitely vaginas. GIF. Yeah. Um. But uh, but. So so Kermit, oh. Kermit and Miss Piggy are scissoring, I guess, in some way. I need to know. I need I scissoring. Need... How are you going to puppeteer scissoring? Oh, that's easy. Oh, okay. Team America did that. All right. All right. Team America went through all that stuff, man. Um, but like, I want to know how a frog and a pig get it on. And and I would I would be the man to to be on that task. I'm your man. That's right. When it comes to Chloe, I'd pick somebody that didn't have normal sex organs. This is so a, I- this is this would be like a five minute Basic Instinct type scene, man. Piggy's got a knife behind the bed. Yeah, exactly. An ice pick or something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think I think it would be violent because Miss Piggy always is beating Miss up on Kermit. She's beating the violent. fuck out of him. Yeah. She's gonna beat that cloaca up. Oh yeah, man. She's gonna pound that cloaca right in the right in the face. <laughs> Right in the face. I don't know what who I'm more worried about: people who Google Cloaca or people who Google Meet the Feebles. Um, so yeah, uh, I oh. think I think you know this is weird. All kidding aside, I do the joke. I would do the joking, the jokey sex scene. Yeah, about, I think it's easy to like come up with boy those volatile characters yeah. getting together and like what kind of oh well it's kind of like any other like sex scene i guess you know it's like very like you know intense or whatever but i want to know how creatures who aren't compatible do it that's how i would want to can we have let's get it on as the backing music like like, barrel i've been really trying does does kermit kermit doesn't have to take off anything does he He has a little collar that's about it i think that's even part of his skin maybe i don't know right oh yeah yeah he's good to go he's always this cloaca is open baby yeah miss yeah definitely his cloaca is like insane (laughs) my cloaca is throbbing (laughs) (laughs) i'm I'm surprised he never never mind yeah yeah i don't want to keep going down this road right 
But uh, I think it would be an interesting one, especially if you could get, you know, yeah, yeah, meet meet the Feebles, man. You know, it's, uh, you know, uh, the two movies that shouldn't have similar titles that I always have to sit stop for a second and be like, is it Meet the Feebles or Meet the Deedles? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Those, and Meet the Deedles is so far away yeah, from you Meet get the, the Feebles. Like, yeah, like, yeah, like, uh, yeah, like. Yeah, if you if you're telling your kids to see something, really they shouldn't see either of those movies. But <laughs> well, this is Meet the Feebles is one of two movies my friend Josh and I were told by people we trust don't ever watch that movie. And of course, we went right out and got that movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. The other one was My Own Private yeah. Idaho. Oh, oh yeah, all right. And actually, what happened was they didn't say don't watch it, but my my older brother and his older brother had watched it, and they said. Don't watch that movie together, <laughs> which is exactly what we did. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, meet the meet the Feebles was Peter Jackson. I know, and that's why that's why we watched it. But it is filthy, and yeah. it actually makes you want to vomit. Filthy, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's puppets, but it's and, like it, toilet it, water and puke and it, semen. And it's all really that. interesting though that he he started off like that. You know, it's like that. And then there was like heavenly creatures came yep. like not too long what after. What was that. the big uh, uh, um, dead again? Uh, oh, dead alive. Dead alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was I? It's either his first or it came after Meet, Meet the Fables. I yeah. can't remember which one came first. But dead alive was gory. Shit. Yeah, yeah. Dead alive was a, was was gross in its yeah. own in its own right. And then the Frighteners too. That was another one that he was in on. But, but then like. From those movies, they were like, Lord Lord of the the Rings. Rings. (laughs) No brainer. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, one more question. You want to do one more? Let's do one more question. Uh, uh. Hopefully, give us a question that I can use cloaca in my answer. (laughs) If you could own an outfit or an article of clothing worn by a film character, what would it be? Shit. I got a good one, man. Vincent Vega's bolo tie get up. Yeah, man. I wore that to an Oscar party that year. Really? I did. It's cool, man. It's cool. You got to have the Vincent Vega hair to make it really work. I went. I drove to Chicago and spent $60 on a, that damn wig. Oh, Did wow. you really? I did. I spent every penny I had in the bank to make that costume. Wow. Do you have pictures? Maybe. Oh, that'd I be dope. It. That'd be dope. I doubt it. Man, that outfit just looks fucking cool as shit, mm-hmm. man. When he gets out there on the dance floor, Jackrabbit Slims. Yeah. And he just, what I love about that scene is that they take their shoes off. And he takes special care to like take him off and then set him on the side of the stage yeah. before he does this, you know, twist and everything. He's just so focused in there. Everything about that outfit is just cool as shit. And it's also intimidating when you see it paired with the the execution of of this guy. You know, it's just awesome. That'd be my pick. You know what? Here's an aside, by the way. This is something that I had never thought of before because I don't think there was any sort of like connecting tissue in the movie that but apparently there's a theory that the part where Travolta is talking about how his car got keyed, uh-huh. that was Bruce Willis who did it. I was wondering about that, too, because he immediately starts fucking with him at the bar. You know, when when they, uh, you know, you're not my friend, Palooka. But it's it, like. Yeah, is that's after, though, right? Mm-mm. No, the the you're not my friend, Palooka's thing is is before. And the, because of that, that's when Bruce Willis goes and, and is p- apparently keys his car. No, but his car, car was keyed before that, like days before. Like he got his, his Malibu out and- I guess that's true. Uh, some dickless piece of shit fucking yeah, keyed Yeah, I guess it. that is right. I guess, it, I guess it would be that scene is- 
I, I've never thought about those two stories in relation to each other, but the date would have happened before. So you're saying it. that he thinks that he did key his car and that's why he's being that way to him at the bar. It's possible. I thought that he was that way to him at the bar and then Bruce Willis. That's what I, that's what I thought. The, because the drug deal does happen. Now it's actually, uh, he, he goes on the date later that night because they're talking about the, right, the date right. and everything. Um, so it could have been that he keyed his car ahead of time and he suspects that Bruce Willis's character did it. Yeah. I don't know. I, for I don't whatever, know why the way I, I read it. It sounded like right after that, you're not my friend Palooka and all that other stuff. Then he goes out and keys his car. And now that's then, interesting. And then, and then, and then when he goes to get the drugs later, he goes, you know what happened, man? Somebody keyed it, you know, man, maybe, I don't know. Maybe it happened before. I'm not sure. But yeah. anyway, that was an know. interesting thing. There's nothing in the movie that suggests, no, and there's nothing in the movie. There's no reason that he should be such a fucking dick to Bruce Willis's character in the first place. Right, right, right. It just is. Yeah. I always figured that he lost money on like a like a, a fight that he Yeah, yeah, that's like that's that. what that seems more like mm-hmm. or whatever. Anyway. Um so this question really baffled me. I had a really hard time with it cuz I feel like it needs to be more restricting. Mm-hmm. Cuz my first answer was the bat suit. Yeah. Right? I want the bat suit mm-hmm. from the Dark Knight, the one where his head can turn and the yeah, arm yeah. things shoot out. Uh, but if I'm going with like actual clothing, realistic clothing from a movie that I would wear, I'm going with Marty's life preserver <laughs> from Back to the Future. Yeah. The uh, orange vest, jacket vest. Puffy vest. They used to be everywhere. Yeah. I kid you not. Yeah, you, yeah. Kids of today, if you're watching that movie going, why the fuck did they ever make that? They made them. We wore them. Yeah. They were everywhere. <laughs> and if I could get my hands on his... That would be the item of clothing that I would like. Yeah, because you would actually wear that shit. I right? would wear that because people would know what I was, what it was. Yeah, right. Like, I, I part of me wants to say, like, you know, the the suit George Clooney wears and out of sight because it makes girls say, "Boy, you really wear that suit," <laughs> and that would be nice to hear. But no one would see me on the street and go, "That's the suit from out of sight." Right. <laughs> so. That's the that's the thing about men's fashion, right? Because it's every every Oscars that happens when men show up on the red carpet and everything i mean they have the same fucking thing on it. oh yeah. it's a, yeah, it might be a different designer it might be you know one less article of clothing mm-hmm. here and there but it's the same fucking thing and and so like there's really not many suits other than like john travolta's mm-hmm. and there you know stuff like that that you can pick out and say i really want that you know but uh, ultimately, just came down to I want Han Solo's vest. Oh yeah. yeah! Ah, two vest answers to this question. Yeah, <laughs> we are a pro <laughs> vest podcast. I don't know. I don't know if I could pull off the coolness that he does because Harrison Ford's just so cool in that movie. <laughs> He's so cool. He's got kind of like a Henley look underneath it too. Mm-hmm. It's that uh, no collar type of button shirt. Mm-hmm. By the way, I mentioned when we were talking about Raiders in the last podcast, I mentioned how much of a fan of Indiana Jones Jeremy Simser is. Uh-huh. He listened to that and then told me on Twitter yesterday, he's actually got a head-to-toe, I think except for the shoes, movie-accurate Indiana Jones wardrobe. God damn. <laughs> and he said it hasn't been easy or cheap to get it over the years, but he's got every piece. Of, he said, all I need now is a convention or Halloween. <laughs> Uh, so even bigger indiana jones fan than i thought it's funny when we went to uh paramount studios that one time we got a chance to go look at some stuff Mm -hmm. like their little vault of uh you know first off all their movies and stuff of course i've centered on like finding the godfather and all that (laughs) other type of stuff. well that was badass because they showed us the basically the root prints Mm -hmm. like they have a room full of 
the hard copy root print, if they were ever going to show Hunt for Red October again in theaters, they would have to go back to the original print and strike copies. Wow. We were seeing the cans for Hunt for Red October nice. right yeah. there. It nice. was fucking awesome. And then they had this big lab where they're like converting stuff and everything. But uh, they also let us look at uh, the like costumes yeah. and stuff from all these movies. So you saw. So I had pictures of uh, of the. Uh, sort of the royal outfit that eddie murphy wears in coming to america oh nice which is a which is really cool but yeah. then, you know of course there's also because it's paramount there's also a lot of like transformer stuff yeah and, yeah and whatever but to, just seeing those clothes like hanging like just in front of you and everything those are just it's just amazing <laughs> i remember they had the uh they had the tom cruise jacket from war of the world yeah 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 and oh nice it's tiny that's <laughs> like it's like my seventh grade clothing like I, i'm exaggerating and everybody knows tom cruise is tiny but he's really tiny you yeah. can tell when you look at him anyway all right uh that'll do it for this syncast we're finally in the round two Woo-hoo! although and then you may have to cut this out if we don't do this but uh i believe our next one we're going to be talking about summer movies yeah coming up soon so we're going to take a take a small break from our march madness going into april madness madness and soon may madness but um we're we're going to be talking about the summer movies that are coming out but uh, anyway keep going to soundcloud and giving us your thoughts yeah now that we're done with round one let us know man we got a lot of uh comments saying that somebody had a nearly perfect region oh wow uh except for one matchup i don't know exactly which one it was but uh let us know your picks, man. Whether you agree, you don't agree. Uh, go to iTunes. Give us a shout out there if you want to in the reviews. Go to SoundCloud to uh, communicate with us directly. Twitter, any of that stuff. Yeah. So uh, that'll do it for this week. It's Chris Atkins and Jeremy Scott and Barrett Share. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com. I still should never have let the girl put her mouth on it. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> that was what Mila was mad about wasn't how long it went on it was that it, that it never started in the first place as soon as the mouth makes contact with the frenulum yeah i mean i found i don't have a lot of experience but i've found that when i'm dating girls they don't like it when i let exes you know put their mouth on my penis yep yeah even if it's only for like a second yeah that's still not something that's it's a come second too long yeah i i actually don't understand why it even matters after you've had sex with Mila Kunis, like who even cares about your ex-girlfriend at that point? Yeah. Not mm. to mention the entire movie. She shows all kinds of reasons why he should never have been with her in the first place. Mm-hmm. And then just that broken heart syndrome, man. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> There's a girl crying up here. <laughs> yeah. 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 It sounds like she's really going through a really rough patch. <laughs> I hear the same thing. It's coming from the floor above me. You're on the top floor, Peter. I'll try and keep it down. <laughs> I don't I don't choose anything by what's on it.
like I just have here are the shirts that are soft that I wear under stuff. Here mm. are the shirts that I wear over them, and I just grab and grab and go. It's the top of the stack routine. Well, I think it was hilarious <laughs> about boy. this uh, Silicon Valley season that's coming up is is when he's like. He's like, uh, I'm going to shut down the business, but I'm keeping the name Pied Piper, and, and there's nothing anybody can do anything about that. And everybody's like, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's a terrible name. <laughs> I haven't really watched that show, but I did watch the clip of the, what was it, dick-to-dick ratio? Oh, God. That oh, was the best. That's, that show's awesome. That's what, that's what made that show a hit, essentially, was yeah. that final episode of season one. It was, And they actually got real mathematicians on that on that did they really screenplay yeah to 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 like figure out because it's funnier if you can come up with actual math. yeah and it was so casual they're like okay this is what we're going to term this phrase yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what if the dicks were touching each other it was could one hand do two dicks at once <laughs> yeah 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 it's like and then it's like it's like what it's like what uh is it the difference in girth will that make any difference he's like Shit, it does. <laughs> <laughs> and I wanted that clip where he's like, and Peter LaFleur is blindfolding himself. And Jason Bateman's like, he is not going to be able to see very well, God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The Up There song is on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Use that a lot. Anytime there's a Satan thing. Yeah. Up there, there's so much room. <laughs> Babies burp and flowers bloom. They can dream, I, I can, can dream too. Up there, up where the skies are ocean blue. I can be safe and live without a care. Live without a care. The greatest thing is you see his hand like yeah. clutching fist up in the air. <laughs> I want to live. <laughs> but what is evil anyway? <laughs> Is there reason to the right? Is evil it could be no good, so it must be good to be evil sometime. Oh. Ow. And uh, that Spider-Man Homecoming trailer sure gave me the entire plot. Yeah, it did. I haven't watched that trailer. I would suggest you don't. No. It's, it's, it has to be the, the entire movie. in that trailer. Mm. There was a friend of mine on Facebook had posted uh, the meme of robert robin williams and his jumanji whatever and he's like because it shows at the top it says you know i looked at the theater listings and it says beauty and the beast morphin uh, mighty morphin power rangers wolverine and some other not original movie was out and it says what year is it <laughs> and i wrote a comment and i said your your meme is apt because there's a new the jumanji coming out this yes year there too. is <laughs> the rock right yeah yep. and kevin hart who so famously hit a home run with Central Intelligence. Mm-hmm. Did. Mm-hmm. Wow. Boy, that movie, I didn't Time out! <laughs> I'm hitting the timeout button! I do like the, uh, what'd you call it, the boss boner? Or the the bully boner. <laughs> oh, yeah. Boss boner. Bully boner, yeah. I mean, it, it's crazy how they make Jason Bateman in this, where he's, he's just unrelenting. like- unrelenting. You know what? Just be a dick all the time. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Everybody's going to love it when you get your ass beat. And I just, I, I, I had seen it coming from the middle of the movie. Yeah. I just di- didn't, didn't do anything. Didn't register. I was like, this guy's such a dick that him getting punched, like is almost an insult to us at mm-hmm. this point. Should have gotten punched well before this. Should have gotten thrown out the window. It would have been awesome. <laughs> you know what would have been awesome is if he threw him out the window and then he was still a dick at the homecoming thing. 
you realize yeah, that full body he's cast. like in a wheelchair and in full body cast, and he comes out and he's like, oh, the fat kid showed up or Let's whatever. Let's go, weird dick. <laughs> that would have been funny. <laughs> that uh, that outtake of the other guys was so seamless mm-hmm. that I guess it was last night that I watched it. I thought it was actually from Central Intelligence. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> and I, looked at it, I was like, oh, yeah, it's the other guys. Yeah. Because it's the rock it is yeah. the rock and the other guys right yeah and samuel jackson it's rock and samuel jackson and they're like basically they're in it for like five minutes yeah. to do that joke because <laughs> yeah. because he's like aim for the bushes aim for the bushes 